It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. <laughs> yeah, fueled by watermelon vape low tea and irrational confidence, you stumbled upon the best damn combat sports show. Period. This is Morning Combat. This is Friday, July 29, 2022. And my name is that beige bastard himself, the B, B, uh, the BC with that BDE, something like that. It's Brian Campbell right here. But the guy next to me, he's great. He's he's great. He's one half of the of the of the of the the greatest duo to ever sit in front of a pair of MMA microphones. It's Luke Thomas. Hi, BC. How are you? I'm doing great, Luke. Thank you very much. Um, Luke, as the people watch this, I'm currently on a cruise ship as we pre-taped this bit of business right here. But you better believe, Broham, that we're going to hit them hard, high and low, with nothing but UFC 277 to set the stage for this weekend to come. Nunes Pena 2, Showtime Championship Boxing with the return of Danny Garcia. Yes, Luke, we got a loaded show for them. We do. Uh, what hits harder, this show or my daughter waking me up at 5.30 in the morning to ask me if I like zebras? <laughs> Did she do it by punching you in the nads or like the Blue Springsteen Glory Days video using the wiffle ball bat to awake you, Luke? No, more just daddy, daddy, and then like pushing me, you know? Yeah. Like, You're like, honey, slumber. I like turtles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, zebras are fine. <clears throat> hey, Luke, you know, I was much... Much maligned for wearing this fantastic piece of vacation business, this, you know, Bob Marley one love hat that screams low T apparently, and everybody, including our Showtime producer Matt Snyder, has sworn off ever seeing this again. So, Luke, since, you know, the midlife crisis dad hat thing is real, I decided to step it up a notch. What do you think about my fantastic Boston Scally Chuck Mindenhall official, the myth cap right here, to raise my T? To give me the little bit of that Joe Rogan, Randy Couture vibe going on right here, Luke. Does Is it a winner? Does it work for me? I'm trying to support the art of a guy who sports, uh, supports us, and that's Chuck Minnenhall. I gotta say, I don't hate it. It looks like that you're half in costume, like between, uh, you know, like you're at the community theater and you are in between rehearsals <laughs> for some kind of stage play for 40 people. But other yes, than that, it's you. all right. 
My wife said it makes me look 50, so of course I'll be wearing it on the cruise this week to embarrass her, so I'm very happy. I will say this, though. If you order right now at the myth.com, M-I-T-H, Chuck Mendenhall's website, dude, it comes in a fantastic bag with his logo on it, Luke, handwritten note from Sir Charles himself. I mean, it was it was great to, to support the arts right there. Yes, go support Chuck Mendenhall, whether that's his reading or I should say his writing or his arithmetic, whatever it is. Go support it. We support you. Thank you. Uh, support our merch just the same, though. Morningcombat.store will get you this this fine winter cap, this coffee mug, uh, this T-shirt I'm wearing right here. Luke's not wearing anything, but... Well, actually, Luke, you might be wearing the MK Draws right now with my face over your anus. Yeah, I'm not. Let me, let me assure you I'm not. I'm not doing that at all. All right. He's like, I'm not doing a bit, and I'm also not doing it, so fuck off. Thank you very much. Uh, Luke, any any uh, pleasantries, any any future plans next week while I'm sailing the high seas? I will be back for Jake Paul night, Madison Square Garden, August 6th, Hasim Rahman Jr., the Showtime pay-per-view. Don't worry about that, Luke. But next week with the BC gone, what's MK going to look like? I have no idea. I barely know what I'm going to do today, much less tomorrow. Or Saturday. I haven't given one ounce of thought to Monday or Wednesday or Friday. <clears throat> I know that's terrible, and I should have a better answer for you. But I'm drowning over here in responsibilities that I have yet to finish. So, yeah. Shout out to the MK Hardcores here. You're about to get nothing. All right. Thank you no, very much. No, we'll get a good show, but I've, I've, got, I've got to do some stuff tomorrow in Jersey City. And then there's the weigh-ins tomorrow, which I'm going to but not hosting. And then there's the we're doing the Saturday prelim stuff. Uh, for the Danny Garcia fight, which we'll talk about today. Yes. And then I have to do some 277 stuff. I mean, I got a lot going on. So I'm do you know what time that. that stream starts this Saturday on the Showtime YouTube channels? I believe it starts at 7. Let me get the uh, exact time. I, I believe right. that's right. I got an email with all the rundown yesterday. Well, let me, let yeah. me plug. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. in the let east. Let me plug our partners. Here. Obviously, Showtime Championship Boxing back with a bang this Saturday. We'll get to it later. Danny Garcia making his 154 debut. First fight since losing to Errol Spence on pay-per-view. Took a long time off. Taking on Jose Benavides Jr., the uh, the older brother, excuse me, of super middleweight David Benavides and Luke. That goes down 9 p.m. Eastern Saturday night on Showtime. And if you want to watch it for free, and why the hell would you not, right? Showtime.com right now, 30 days free. Hey, give it a run. You get some Bellator, you get some boxing, you get some great content around that. Pound sand at the end of it. But Luke, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. It's going to be the preliminary undercards. And Luke, Vito Melnicki. Sergey Derevinchenko in bouts. It's you. It's Raul Marquez. It's it's Boots Ennis. I mean, there's a good party to show up to. And they say Stephen Fulton Jr., although I've heard he's in, he's out. I'm not sure about that. But at a bare minimum, you're right. Me, Raul Marquez, who, of course, after the prelims, will be calling the fights live in Spanish for the folks who want to watch that. And then, of course, Boots Ennis may be, may be the best. Up, what would you call him? Like, up, most talented prospect? He's kind of a contender now, right? Most most deserving contender, something along those lines. He's the future of boxing. Stephen Fulton Jr., unified champ. It's going to be a fun time. Dude, as hyperbolic as that sounds, if you're looking across the landscape and looking to put the future of boxing on one person, you couldn't go wrong with Boots Ennis right now. And I'm telling you that that's straight up and truthful. You could not go wrong in that area. You know, I love Shakur Stevenson. We all love Tang, Ryan Garcia. A lot of, a lot of young guys that are about to break through or have already broken through that you should love. Boot tennis might might be the best of them all. We're gonna find out. Uh, and real quickly, lastly, he's boys. If, if you if if the MK fans out there watch the you know the room service diaries that we put out, Boots Ennis is boys and has trained with and been a pad holder for 
UFC welterweight Sean Brady. They're very close, actually. So, oh yeah, um, it's nice to see in MMA and in boxing Philly producing some some top talent. Brotherly love, indeed. Uh, Luke, speaking of top talent that wins big awards, you're you're looking at us right now, Morning Combat. So here's one last plea for this specific category and this specific nomination. It's the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We are a nominee for the second straight year. We didn't win last year. We ended up winning a, a social media influencer or podcast influencer award, but we're up for two categories. Best pot sports podcast, best male hosted podcast, People's Choice Podcast Awards. We appreciate all you people out there. You've backed us. Okay? We didn't say we need you to go out and vote like crazy to, for us to win these awards. But we all benefit when you do that. Let me tell you that right now. So if you want to help us for the last time to nominate us to the next round in the voting here, please go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Toggle down to the sports category. It literally takes 60 seconds. No more than that. No credit card information. You don't have to put in your birth sign or your sexual history. They're not looking for that. Okay? Don't DM me that either, please. You can also hit up this QR code on the screen right now. But Luke... When it comes to podcast awards, and boy, do we want to win the people's choice to keep this train moving in the right direction. We got other podcast award news. Do you want to fill in the people who didn't see yesterday on social media? Yeah, I couldn't believe this either. Um, When it rains, it pours, I guess. So as you guys know, last year, BC and I won for MK uh, Best MMA Programming, beating out a lot of different sort of uh, high-profile shows, including in uh, UFC programming like contender series and stuff like that joe rogan and say again joe rogan we beat out joe rogan as well dc Uh, and ariel i mean we 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 made a run bro okay we did we certainly did well guess what we got nominated again back to back years yes the upcoming world mma awards you can see right there there's a qr code they already have locked in for us on your screen or you can go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees and you can vote please go vote for us to win that back-to-back, I cannot tell you how important that would be for CBS and Showtime. I mean, Huge. look. Huge. I want to win People's Choice. When we won the Sports Podcasting Awards, best sports podcast of the year, I still don't know what to do with that information. It's, it's wild. But, Luke, there's something about winning it in your own backyard, which is the MMA landscape, okay? If we have a chance to go head-to-head again, and we, we do, Contender Series, UFC Embedded, MMA Hour with Helwani, Joe Rogan MMA Podcast. I mean, this is this is the, the, the final four, Luke. This is the playoffs right here. Um, it's up to you people. Whatever you prefer. You prefer us to the rest? Hit this QR code right now. Doesn't take you that long. Maybe we get a live show out of it. Maybe you get, uh, you know... Look, I still want to do the WWF in your house gimmick where one lucky fan gets us to fly out and do the pod with them in their house. Your, your thoughts on that idea? That would be nice, but it would also be nice if we could do pregame on the roof too. So you know, baby steps. Wow, there's a subtweet to our staff right there, and I, I couldn't. I'm, I'm here for it. Believe me, I am here for it. All right, Luke. Any other <clears throat> us side business or hustles? You oh, shout out by the way, Aaron Bronstetter. Same thing. World MMA Awards. He's up for Journalist of the Year. Luke, nobody but Helwani wins that, although John Morgan won it in year one. Nobody but Helwani wins that, and that's a shout out to Ariel. I'm not taking shots. The guy, the guy is who he is, right? Bronstetter making a run this year. Shout out to AB, okay? Yeah, and a uh, friend of the show, he was on for five seconds during my Margarita Blitz. Um, Mike Bond. Mike Bond also nominated yes. as well. So congrats to those guys. I hope one of the two wins, or may the best man win, whatever the proper thing is. But congrats to those gentlemen on getting nominated and 
Good to see hard work getting rewarded. Sean Elshadi also in that nomination yes, group, along with John Morgan. Uh, no Brett Okamoto this year, Luke, but uh, he's, you know, as Joanna would say, maybe, maybe the handsomest guy we got in this in this category. Maybe. I think I think more than Joanna saying that you say it. I think you more than anything. I think you want to bang him is basically what I'm trying to get at here. So. You, you, people don't realize Brett used to be my quarterback. I was his editor. I was his coach, Luke. I was his his flavor flave. Okay, people forget that. Okay, now I'm that for you. A little bit. Uh, also, not quite. Not quite. I'm also against you on a regular basis. All right, let's let's do this damn show and let's do it right because we got a pay per view this weekend. So what's topic one? It's time to get into our preview, our picks, who wins and why, and it goes down in Dallas, UFC 277. It's the second pay-per-view in this loaded month of July, which has also seen UFC London, UFC Long Island on ABC. Maybe that hits the depth of this card the wrong way, but this main event, good God, Lord, it's must-see. The rematch, Women's Bantamweight Championship, the second helping of maybe the biggest upset in the sports history when Juliana Pena Puts her 135 belt up in a first title defense against the GOAT herself, Amanda Nunes. Luke, quick stat to kick us off here. This will be the 13th time in UFC history that a defending champion had lost its belt and then in their next fight fought the same person that beat them for the belt. History will tell us, Luke, that the person that just won the belt, which is Pena in this case, is 10-2 and two in UFC history running back in the exact next fight. Little trivia question to kick it off. Who are the two people, Luke? The only two in UFC history to go back into a rematch of the person that just took their belt and win it back. So is one of them Chuck Liddell? No. No. Um, I didn't. I got both. I got it wrong. I got both wrong. I had to look it up, Luke. I'd have to think a little harder about it. I don't know. Who is it? I thought it was GSP and Sarah, but he had two fights in between Koscheck and Hughes. It's Randy Couture after losing to Vitor Belfort and then winning it back. And it's Deviston Figueredo against Brandon Moreno, who we were talking about in a second on this card. Okay, nope. but the Couture one is interesting because the first fight, yes, Vitor won. But if you've never seen it, like at the very beginning of the fight, the glove of Vitor just glances the eyelid. And what happened was it sliced Couture's eyelid away from his face. And so they were worried about him losing his eyesight. So they had to call it there. So there was no real fight. Like, yes, technically Vitor won, and so the stat fills that. The real answer to that question is Devison Figueredo is the only person. I mean, I, I realize that, you know, to the spirit of the question, Vitor qualifies, but in the actual totality of, like, defeating after being, you know, defeated, it's really only Devison Figueredo. That's pretty remarkable. All right. Well, Randy also lost a vacant title about to Rico Rodriguez, won it back in the next one. Doesn't quite count. Let's get into Pena Nunes, too, Luke. Our friends at Caesars right now have Juliana Pena as a plus 235 underdog. Nunes minus 280. Dude, we have hit these storylines hard, whether it's the pregame preview with Chuck Mindenhall or our loaded Wednesday show. But today's about who wins and why. So, Luke, let's start with this question. Stylistically, technically, we, we assume this fight's going to be different than the first, which was a chaotic storm. How different, though? What is the keys to victory for Amanda Nunes to turn back the clock, turn back time, and avenge the wrongdoing of what went on in her eyes at UFC 269? Boy, it's a great question. And the question, of course, is exactly how much of this is doable, how much of this is fixable, right? Because, you know, there could have been underlying issues, as we've, as we've discussed ad nauseum to this point, about how those factors could have contributed to the loss in the first one, but some of those could be systemic, some of those could be ingrained, some of those could be um, 
irreversible, right? We just don't really know yet. We're going to find out on, well, as you're watching this, we're going to find out tomorrow. So what I would say is I went back and I watched the first fight a couple of times, and I think one is she really needs to make sure that I think the leg kicks were a thing for her that were working in the first round that she kind of got away from. Lateral movement, leg kicking, maintaining range at kickboxing range, really just devastating her inside, outside, finding all kinds of ways to slow Juliana Pena down because if she can't really use that front leg effectively or she's getting swept off of her feet, that's going to be a big deal. I think two is avoiding contact, especially in that first round. Right? What was what happened? Like for example, what happened in the first round where she went to the ground? She actually knocked Pena off of her feet with the leg kicks and then elected to get on top. And I think, you know, that by itself wasn't devastating or anything like that, but it didn't really help her. It didn't meaningfully do anything like we often talk about the fact that Amanda Nunes has a good ground game, and that's true in certain respects. Like, on top, she's got devastating ground and pound. On top, she can pass. On top, there's been times where she could, you know, hold position after passing. But these are usually after she's softened somebody up. Exactly. Right? It's usually after she's hurt or dropped them in some kind of cases, right? Like, the first Duran Demifi would be a great example of that. At this stage, Pena can be hurt. But, dude, she's an active grappler underneath. She uses her butterfly hooks. She is underhooking. She's attempting things. And in the fight, she was slowing down with that Kimura, which is honestly kind of stalling a little bit. But the point being is she's working in most respects underneath to either to, like, nullify action or to remove position, to disrupt balance, to disrupt base. That's not someone you just want to go to the ground with if you're Amanda Nunes at this stage of the game. You would really want to avoid that. So I think avoiding kind of content like that and I really believe hammering the leg kicks. But I have to tell you, BC, there's just a few more warning signs for Amanda Nunes that give me a little bit of pause. I mean, obviously she has great power. Obviously the wins that she has in her record are, you know, just unbelievable. But the other reality about it all is, man, you know what's one thing that's kind of interesting is she has a long reach and she has a really good, she has good timing as well. But she doesn't faint. She doesn't really faint. And there's a lot of ways in which somebody who has a pressure game like Juliana Pena, that's that's going to be tough to stop if you're not making them reconsider yeah. either with fainting and or leg kicks. Leg kicks were there. Those are great. Those are heavy. I, I think bring those back big time. But I, honestly, I think she's going to have to get uh, Juliana Pena to slow down a little bit, to, to worry about what's coming, to not know, to have to rethink things, to disrupt her rhythm. Because if Juliana Pena can just eat a big punch and then establish contact and then force wrestling along the fence line, that's that's bad news, bro. It's super bad. Oh, news. absolutely. And, you know, and also anything that leads to a carbon copy of the first fight, which means chaos. If Pena can get Nunes into a state of chaos, we all know now. If we didn't before. I'm not saying Pena's mentally tougher or, or all this, but she's not going to be afraid to walk through a hell of damage, to have to use her gas tank. She goes on and on. If you really listen to Juliana Payne interviews, she goes on and on that she believes she works harder in the gym than anybody else, and that separates her in these moments. So if you're Nunes, boy, you're going to have to go back to the basics and rely on what we still believe, and the, I think the odds makers do too, is a gap between them in overall skill. In technical skill, when Amanda is applying distance and doing the things that that we think she should. Now, look, we spent this whole buildup trying to do armchair psychologists in hindsight and figure out what was really wrong with Amanda. I, I really tried to listen to her words in the last 24 hours. I saw an interview she did with Laura Senko where she it, she said, "Look, uh, if that last camp was a, if you want to rate it one out of a ten, it was a one out of ten." 
I saw her extended breakdown in the UFC countdown show where she said she suffered a knee injury during training. And Luke, I think it, you know, it'd be the kind that you'd probably pull out of in the past. But let's not forget, Amanda already had to pull out of a recent fight because of COVID. She had already gotten blasted by Dana when she pulled out of the initial Shevchenko rematch after having that hard weight cut. Maybe she felt the pressure more of I just got to put the I just got to go out there and I'll just figure it out. Well, she met the wrong person at the wrong time. She couldn't figure it out. So if Amanda has no excuses physically, we believe this could be an entirely different fight. The odds makers believe it could be an entirely different fight. Luke, I think even, you know, if you told me that you're, Amanda doesn't go doesn't spend much time on her back in this rematch, I also think Amanda's going to have a much easier time. The key, obviously, will be some of the things you just mentioned. I don't think she should chase submissions unless she's got a battered, wounded, and ready-to-go Pena. That's a battle that, that she's going to lose and lose her stamina in the process. But, Luke, she has to establish the threat of her top game, which if you look back over her history, it's threatening. It does damage. That has to be there so Pena can't be comfortable pulling guard or can't, you know, can't can't be looking that at that as an out. And Luke, it's it's interesting. For all the debate about why the first fight went the way it did, I think we can agree on this principle. It was the worst fight of Amanda Nunes's elite career and it bumped up against the by far the best night of Juliana Pena's elite career. But that was the first fight. Now it's over. How does it change the second fight? And I think when you look at it, Luke, it's like we have to figure out which anomaly in this case is is, is more likely to, to, to repeat. Is it more likely that Amanda Nunes, after a 12-fight ridiculous win streak in which she's knocking out and finishing Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, is it more likely that she can have a flat tire a second time or is it more likely that Juliana Pena can put forth the kind of performance that I'm sorry if you watched her last four fights leading up when she went 2-2 two and two and got stopped twice? You just didn't see it in that, Luke. So what's more likely to happen in this rematch? That, 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 that Nunes, you know, suffers the continuation of a decline? Or that Pena can, can be that person she was at UFC 269, which was just inspiring? I mean, look, I got goosebumps rewatching that post-fight interview. There was something special that took place that night. But, but lightning's got to strike twice for it to happen again. It really does, Luke. And, and that, I know that that's looked at as disrespect to Pena. But unless this goes to the deep end of the water... The, the, the history, the stats, the video proof, it's all telling you that it's Amanda working behind that jab and slowly breaking Juliana down. And Amanda did admit it on the countdown show that in round two, she took way too many strikes that she normally would have dodged or would have stood back from. And Luke, whether it's fatigue, whether it's, oh my God, who is this creature in front of me that won't go away? She, she bought in on the brawl and it cost her. I can't see us seeing the same exact Amanda physically again. I just can't see that happening, Luke. I believe what she says with the knee injury. I don't think she's making excuses. This is going to be a much, much different fight the second time around. The real question in that, though, is what can Pena do that she hasn't done yet that can win a totally different fight against somebody this great? I'm not sure I share your analysis. Um, yeah, yeah, bring got, it, Luke. I'm, I'm feeling like, my BDE in this half. The, the jab with Amanda Nunes, that was what got her in trouble because of the dipping jab of Juliana Pena. She was going right past her, and then that would bring her into position, and then she was getting hit over the top left and right. She had no answer for it. She doesn't faint Amanda Nunes really hardly a little bit, but not, 
Not much, and she didn't have a technical answer for that. Now, obviously, that's something she can work on here, but um, we'll have to see how she does. But the reality is this. It's like, okay, what's one way she could counteract some of the forward pressure and that aggressiveness that Pena um, could bring? She could get, she could wait till she uh, blitzes, then get underneath, go for a takedown, and potentially do ground and pound, but that's going to involve her taxing a system. You could say, well, what about just clinching? But if she clinches and does anything other than dirty boxing, which she could do, I mean, that, that actually would be something pretty interesting to see here or try because I think she could probably do it pretty well. But if she knees at all, some of those might get caught and she risks getting pushed off balance and then you have a grappling affair there. It's not that I don't think Amanda Nunes can grapple very well. I think she probably is as good as Pena, potentially even a little bit better. But that's not the question about who's technically better. The question is who has more, who has a more aggressive uh, capacity for volume action in that kind of ground attack. And the answer there is Juliana Pena by a mile. Um, it's not really so so clear to me that Amanda Nunes can, like, she can't avoid the ground altogether, but, like, inviting that seems kind of suspect. I mean, there's, it's not like you can't point to things that are wrong in Juliana Pena's game, including in ways in which she won the, the first fight. But I'm just here to tell you, I'm I'm a little skeptical about Amanda Nunes' chances here. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I don't have a fucking clue what's going to happen in this fight. It is very possible that Amanda Nunes could go in there, have a good answer for the jabs and the style of jabs, that Julia Pena was throwing is back to the leg kick. She's push kicking and she just takes her head off. Like, would that really be surprising? Not necessarily. But if it is true that Pena can take Amanda Nunes' best shot, like we'll see. But if it if it is true, and if it is true that her aggression and work rate is just a bad matchup for someone like Amanda Nunes, you know, you can say again, someone might have someone else's number and not actually be better than them in totality. Someone might have someone else's number and not be, be have the same kind of career that they had overall. Okay. I'm, willing to I'm willing to believe, BC, I'm willing to believe many of the things that went wrong the first time won't be here the second time. I do think this will be a different fight. I do think it potentially will either go very short or very long. I don't think it'll be that two-round space like it was the last time. But I also think that a lot of people are surfing reputationally off who Amanda Nunes well, is and not really you. looking at how these two actually match up and why Pena's win was not at all an accident. No, I agree with you on the totality of the final statement, and, and we talked about that on Wednesday when you rewatched that dipping jab, you're talking about the left hook, a lot of things she did beyond just standing in there taking a big shot and outlasting the bully. Agreed. There's obviously a lot of pressure on Amanda in her new camp at Lioness Studio after leaving ATT that she can not only right the wrongs of what happened in the disastrous camp last time, but, you know, carry out the right game plan to win this. But I want to ask you what the foundation of your skepticism concerning Nunes' chances in the rematch is. Is it more on the idea that she might be just 34 and been through too many wars against great ones and that might be it? Or is your skepticism on what she didn't do when these two strikers matched up, particularly in round two of their first fight. Because if it's the latter, Luke, I do agree with her on this. You're right. She doesn't have enough fainting against, you know, against somebody who can strike on her level. But anybody that had been on her level that she struck with, from Shevchenko to Holm, dude, she's carried herself very damn well. This is really the first fight where it all fell apart on the feet. So... As much as Juliana's step-in jab and some of the things she was doing was very effective, dude, I think we do have to re be, be honest and say that was a gassed, diminished Amanda in round two of that first fight that completely, like Cyborg against Amanda, completely just dropped the idea of defense, head movement, setup, and strategy and was just like, 
let me just come in there with these bursts to try to finish this gnat that won't stop annoying me. Is your skepticism that Juliana might have her number, not just from a toughness standpoint, but from a from a striking skill, technique, game plan standpoint? Because I don't see that, Luke. What fight would you say Amanda Nunes showed good head movement in? Well, if you want to break it down that specifically, so, so like the people that get on me for calling her a good boxer under the UFC sense, I, I get what you're saying, but Luke, you, she went five rounds in a rematch with Shevchenko and won the chess match. Now, I, I thought Shevchenko won, there's that debate, but it was a close-ass right. fight. She went in there against Holly Holm, who's a decorated striker who we all thought could take her deep and just head-kicked her to hell. Like, we are really, I think you're going down a long road of hope if you believe Nunes' striking will be as bad as it was in this fight against Pena, look at I don't, the history I don't think it will be. That. I don't think it will be as bad. No, no, that's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is there are there are fundamental flaws in every fighter's game, no, no matter how good and how poor. And when someone gets very good and has a lot of success, people tend to just stop looking at those flaws or pretending that they don't exist or that they don't matter. And Pena's like, they do matter. Someone just has to find a way to bring them to life. Against home, the way she was able to do that was to keep distance. She was able to score a little bit with the jab. She had a good low kick herself. But really, it was home trying those oblique kicks. She got caught in mid-range, kind of throwing with her hands down or trying to push with her hands down, balancing on one leg. And it was just brilliant timing and shot selection. And Amanda Nunes put her lights up. But you go to the Duran Demi fight, she was constantly looking for the takedown on top. I go back to this. Amanda Nunes does have a good ground game. It's not like she's some scrub on the ground. That's not what I'm saying. But she is much, much better and more active and more useful at it when there, there is a clear difference in ability and a clear difference in what someone can do with their relevant energy expenditure there. Against Pena, in that sense, it's not really a fruitful endeavor for her. Now, on the feet, again, if she maintains distance, if she keeps it in a kickboxing range and she carves up um, uh, Juliana Pena, starting with the leg kicks and then working her way into range... I think that's a totally winnable game plan. That yes. wouldn't surprise me even a little bit to see that. But what I am saying is a person like Pena, she will take punishment to overwhelm someone like Amanda Nunes positionally. Standing is what I mean. And that was a huge problem for her in the first fight. Do I necessarily see her being able to stop that over the course of five rounds? Yes, potentially. But I also see a very decent chance that Juliana Pena, in a much slower and more painful way, can methodically overwhelm her positionally, get into clinch scenarios, level change, force her to work along the fence line, and then turn her from this kind of devastating striker to that one. Again, I know this does it seems impossible because we're again, you have to throw out reputations and their records and Mount Rushmore this and goat that. Fuck all that nonsense. You have to pay attention to what skills they bring to this particular fight, each of them, their their strengths and their deficiencies, and I'm going to say it one more time, for all of the bad things that went wrong for Amanda Nunes, of which I am totally sympathetic to, that is not the full explanation of why she lost. She yeah. also has she has flaws in her game that Pena was just uniquely able to take advantage of. I, I agree with that, but respectfully, Luke, I think those flaws only emerged because of how disastrous Nunes' game plan, I'm sorry, gas tank was by the start of round two, because of the yank of the Kimura mixed with, if you're going to take Nunes at face value, an awful camp, which had the knee injury. Did it have the lingering COVID battle effects? I don't know. Some people speculate that. My whole point is, unless Juliana can force legitimate chaos in the first half of this fight that causes that type of fight-or-flight scenario where Amanda's like, oh, shit, man, uh, I guess I'm just going to go for broke. I don't think those striking 
situations come into play. Now, obviously, we're going to have to watch it. It's going to have to play out. Could Amanda, could it just have caught up with Amanda? Yes, it's very possible. It's just hard for me to believe that it's just the wheels fall off. And it's just, I don't know. I did have a little bit of this feeling, different scenarios. But I did have a little bit of this feeling entering the second Frankie Edgar-BJ Penn matchup, Luke. Where I thought maybe, maybe BJ just got caught. Wrong guy, wrong night, wrong game plan, ability to come in and out and box. You know, and then he did the exact same thing in the rematch, Luke. Different situations. Sometimes people have their numbers. Sometimes one rising stock is coming on us. The other one's fading, and we don't really realize that. I just don't think that this is the case. I've re-examined the first fight so many times that it just screams disastrous, worst-case scenario. So to win this rematch, keeping distance, Nunes, key. She showed she can do that. She showed she could play chess against Shevchenko and, and win that type of fight. Luke, I just think that we have to take into account how hard Nunes strikes. It's why, when you ask me, what fights has she shown Agreed. great head movement? She doesn't always show the most perfect boxing, but she shows accuracy and ridiculous power. And while I'm here to give Juliana otherworldly credit for standing in as her eyes getting swollen, just taking bombs, and refusing to let that affect her, her body's not going to be able to hold up if Amanda is allowed for two to three rounds to start to have these type of moments consistently. There's going to be cuts. There's going to be bad swelling. It is so key, in my opinion, Luke, for Juliana to not only force chaos early, but to force it in a pretty dramatic way early. And maybe that's, again, trying to go to the ground. Maybe that's trying some things. But you try shit against a fresh Amanda Nunes, you're getting knocked out, Luke. And maybe she's got a better chin than the rest of the division and a better willpower. But her face, I don't know if it can hold up for five if Amanda can control the terms of the fight, which she has done such an incredible job against one elite foe after another in doing. I think that's why the odds are exactly the way they are, and that's why, Luke, I got to go with the Lioness the second time. I got to do it. And I almost, I was close the other day. I was close, man, because I love what Juliana brings to the table. But, Luke, as much as there's a referendum here on Amanda's new camp and new team, isn't there the same referendum on Coach Rich Little and Juliana to win this fight completely differently than the first? I don't think they have to win it differently at all. No. Uh, I think they so, I, I so think wait, can... wait. Let me add, so you believe it's possible to recreate what happened in that first round? Or like that knee injury, that bad camp, that has to matter, Luke. It does. I, when you like when you I'm, maybe I'm not clear on what you mean by win it differently, but here's what I'm trying to get at. I, first of all, I, I agree with one thing very much with you, which is I've had long conversations with Dean Thomas about Amanda Nunez's power, and Dean is many things, but he's never lied to me, and he's never told me something where, I mean, everyone's right and wrong, but he's never told me something from experience that didn't bear fruit later. I take his wisdom, and I take his insight clearly, and he has told me her power is no bullshit. I, I believe that. I believe that. It, it, would it be crazy, BC, if she landed one overhand right that, you know, Pena zigs when she's supposed to zag, and she gets her lights put out. That would not be surprising even a little bit. It'd be like, oh, yeah, man, Nunes can fucking thump, like maybe more than any other women we've ever seen. Uh, so that's not, I don't doubt that at all, which is why, like, the Mar which is why, like, Pena's style of victory is a little perilous, right? It's, it's kind of predicated on eating a little bit of damage. But what, part of the reason she was able to eat so many punches in the first fight was because she had Amanda Nunes, Amanda Nunes so off balance. You know, go back and watch how many times she is throwing. She never has her feet under her. She's kind of like backing up and like winging shots and these like, you know, off one foot and stuff like that. It, it, it just wasn't a good shot. But to answer the question about like, do I think she can win it the same way? Well, I don't mean to say that the fight would look the same. I don't, I don't it's not exactly what I'm pointing out. But what I am saying is, uh, in being an active grappler, uh, 
forcing clinch scenarios, threatening takedowns, pushing against the fence. If you get taken down, working from underneath to reverse position, right? Because where you're not letting the other person kind of settle into ground and pound scenarios. And then on the feet, driving into position, pushing Amanda Nunes off balance. Do I think she could repeat those a second time? Yeah, you bet your fucking ass I think she could do that a second time. And I think part of that probably will show up. Wow, you love BBLs, Luke. <laughs> Is she really one, though? Like, to be a BBL, like, it's, you know, it either requires surgery, a certain level of genetics, or, like, you know, right. maybe well, being a little bit out of shape. Uh, we'll leave but, that topic exactly uh, where it is. Um, I'm so fascinated because this does have the because the first fight played out kind of like a street fight, right? You know, almost. It, I'm so fascinated at what this could look like. So, Luke, if Nunes can hold the the distance in the ground, um, in theory, Luke, I think she should make she should be a counterpuncher in this fight, Amanda Nunes, and she should really make Juliana have to come to her. Really, I mean, look, Juliana did very well in that first round and having an active guard and almost being in a perpetual state of fainting that I think did freeze Amanda, and when you do that to people, think of what Tyson Fury did to Deontay Wilder, it just it takes away their jab, because if you don't know when they're really coming forward, you're not going to make that risk of overextending and getting caught. So again, let's let's bring back in the respect for what Juliana can do. But, Luke, I'm making, if I'm Amanda, Juliana overextend and have to come and try to finish me. And that could lead to long stretches of slower activity, which, like the second Shevchenko fight, I think is going to favor Nunes. The more she can make this a poised chess match, she's got the, the king, you know what I mean? She's got the, the, the king finisher there. What do you think Pena's reaction would be to a almost passive counterpunching Nunes looking to say, all right, if I'm going to win this fight, I need to win it in the championship rounds or make Juliana walk into something, but I want to be—I want to still be there in those championship rounds. I, I think it'd be a mistake to counterfight. I think it'd be a big mistake by Amanda Nunes. How come? It, uh, dude, you got someone who loves to go forward. Now, if you have a good answer for them coming forward, to your point but it might be, oh, you could catch them coming in. Maybe, maybe that's something. I think she does have, again, she's got vicious power, so that could be a thing, but she doesn't have blinding speed. She has big power and good timing. That usually is enough, but... I I have a feeling that if you're backing up and you're letting Amanda you're letting Juliana Pena walk into you, she's gonna level change, clinch, and press you into the fence, which is just a place she doesn't want to be. Surely you would agree with me that it's not to say Amanda Nunes again doesn't have power to win in a lot of different places, but one of the places that probably wouldn't work to the biggest advantage would be with her back along the fence, right? You would surely yes. agree with me there. I think if you're playing a game where you're backing up and you're letting up Juliana Pena have that, you're you're going to give the fight away. I think she actually needs to do the opposite. She needs to put Juliana Pena on her fucking heels. And I think also taking away a little bit of that base that she has. Juliana Pena uh, does a lot of fainting off of that front leg. She does a lot of uh, step fainting, a lot of leaning like that. And that's one of the reasons why that leg kick was so awesome for her, for, for Amanda Nunes in the first fight in the first round because she was kicking it out and her base was going right underneath her. She was falling over constantly. Dude, go back to that. Take away the foundation of her movement. Take away the foundation of her balance. Take away the foundation of her structures that allows her to pressure to begin with. I think that's a much better game plan. I think if you see that, Amanda Nunes is going to win no problem. But I think if she's backing up and letting a pressure fighter get back to their pressure when she doesn't have... I'm not saying Amanda Nunes at her best has a terrible gas tank, but you would not say it's like a dramatically awesome one. It's not. Probably not better than Ben Pena's. No. And I think if she's finding herself along the fence line, 
That's just not a place she wants to be in an ideal scenario. It's the opposite. You want Pena backing up, fearful, her getting her legs chopped to pieces, working behind what you're doing and setting the terms there. Also, Luke, I know this has suddenly turned into BC Amanda Nunes apologist hour, which didn't plan to be. It or, just pl- or Luke Thomas Juliana Pena apologist hour, depending on one's perspective. But one of the sort of warning signs ahead of that first fight was, okay, this is Amanda's first 135-pound bout in two years, right? She had been off defending at featherweight. So if you have a a fractured camp, a compromised camp, and you're cutting down to an area you haven't been... Look, it all just played together to be a damn perfect storm. It's going to need a jab, though, from Amanda. And I do have pause from what I talked about, that active guard that can freeze it. Yeah, you're right. It goes a little bit deeper than just show up and be in great shape, Amanda, and you've got this fight. Do I have some concerns if this fight goes to round four and five that Juliana could be the bigger dog, could have the deeper gas tank? Of course. But, Luke, it does then come down to Nunes. You can't just play to get to those championship rounds and, like you said, be too passive on the outside and look in a counter and get yourself then in wrong scenarios. You have to land steady, consistent damage. You have to steady, steadily, consistently touch Juliana. Because, Luke, I just think, and you just nailed it with the power in the D. Thomas quote, there's a reason why people don't stand and last in front of Amanda that long over that period of time. So, for me, that's going to be the key early. Can Amanda land consistently and can it be powerful? Can she make Juliana make a mistake and do something she doesn't want to do? Damn. Damn, I'm ready for this one, Luke. Do you have a, a official prediction? Well, let me just Or is it going to be this hedge bullshit where you're like, I could totally see y'all being wrong and Juliana winning, <laughs> yes. but I'm going with yes. Amanda. You mean, do I do I have a rational take about expectations in, in either gambling or predictions that, you know, is entirely warranted? Yeah, you bet your fucking ass I do. You're talking about Amanda Nunes, who has fight-ending power from the opening bell. I mean, you can't look the other way on that. That's that's real. I, dude, I take that very seriously. I want to be very clear here. I, you know, don't come at me and be like, oh, Amanda wins in 30 seconds. F you, Luke. Yeah, like, I can absolutely see Amanda winning, you know, with her vicious, vicious punching power. I believe it. I don't think there's ever been a, a female puncher, including even maybe Cyborg, like her. Because Cyborg is a bit of a flurry artist at times, too, you know? Amanda Nunes sends people to the land of wind and ghosts, and if Pena's not careful, she'll find herself there. I'm going to go with Pena. I'm going to go with Pena, which I know is crazy for a lot of folks. But that wow. stat, which is they say 10 and 2, it's really 10 and 1, if you really want to just be fair about the spirit of what that stat under, underlies. It's not a fucking coincidence, man. It's really not. And I feel like, I. by the way, do I think that Pena will hold this title for very long, even assuming if she wins on Saturday? No, I don't. I, I, I really feel like there's a lot of parody at that division. She's shown a, a ton of different flaws. She got submitted by Shevchenko. If Shevchenko goes back up there and fights uh, Pena, I would pick Shevchenko to beat her, to be quite candid with you. Like, that's just the reality. But in this particular fight, for this particular moment, um, I think that the reasons that Amanda Nunes lost were myriad. I take that seriously. She can win. But I think Pena's probably got a few things that are going to deprive Amanda from going to the comfort zone she typically enjoys, and that will be the difference. Look, if it happens, that you're going to realize that that mental edge, that that in, internal toughness is is just next level. And I don't think we're doubting that after that first fight in Juliana Pena. Maybe that's why, I mean, the, you know, some people are surprised that Nunes is a minus 280 favorite. But you get, you get plus 235 odds against someone as great as Nunes as Pena is getting here. It's still a respectful nod, Luke, even though it's a little bit of a, sure. you know. I understand why Amanda Nunes is the betting favorite. I really do. I, I get it. But... 
I don't know, man. I just get a weird feeling that there's just a lot of wishful thinking about Nunez and what she's done that has it's not really respectful of why Pena won. And I just feel again, what are the individual ways in which people match up? What are the reasons to the best that we can ascertain about why they happen? There's a good case for Pena here. I'm I'm gonna side with that. All right, let's talk quickly about what could be next here. Uh, if Pena wins, and if it is dominant, yeah, I could see Shevchenko coming up and them doing that fight. It's a rematch. Chuck likes to make the case that Juliana had moments before Valentina you know, submitted her. It's a huge fight. It is what it is. Are there any other bantamweights? You, you know, you mentioned sort of parity in, in that, you know, Pena could lose at any point. It's not like she's a lock to get three, four title defenses. But no. do you really look up and down these bantamweight rankings and see anyone that you're like... Oh, yeah, they could be. I mean, Ketlin Vieira, Luke? Um, Ketlin Vieira is an interesting one. You know, you never know how those two might match up because she, you know, she got her lights punched out by Aldana, but she is quite good. The Aldana one's kind of interesting, too. Again, that would go back a little bit there to some of the takedown issues. Um, Holly? Holly is an interesting one. Like, how would Holly and Juliana match up? Because that would be a takedown issue, right? You could see Holly sticking behind the jab, playing a long game, that giving her some problems. Yeah, we'll have to see. There's a lot of old, older, I should say, fighters at 135, and we're waiting for the next gen. And the next gen is good, but you don't see it as like quite supplanting in the way that, for example, at men's lightweight, you can see that next generation coming down, you know, running down the hills uh, at, the, at the existing one. But again, it's not that Pena doesn't have flaws. She quite clearly does, and you've seen them a million times. Um, and again, if Shevchenko moved up, I'm going to say one more time, I would pick Shevchenko to beat Pena for sure. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and but, also, um, the last person to beat her is GDR. Durandamy seems to only fight once a year, Luke, but that'd be a rematch that could be something there for the title. You could potentially do that as well. If that uh, again, it's, it's, just, it's just, this is not a case for me saying Pena is a long-term belt holder in this weight class. She might lose it on Saturday, but even if she doesn't, I, I, I don't know that she's like this dominant force, but styles make fights. They, da- they damn do. All right, Luke, is there a scenario... In which Nunes wins this fight, but it's a great Jesus, one. Can you talk about the co-main already? Oh my God! You, why, look, look. <laughs> UFC 277 is not a loaded card. This main event is the story of the are card. You, are you going to make me do the whole card or not? We're only 40 minutes in. We're pretty much going to have nothing to talk about after Moreno in France. So can you stop being a motherfucker for once and just enjoy the show and put out a good one, Luke? I mean, what I do, the hell? I do, I do. I do love the show. All right. What's your question about Nunes? Is there a scenario in which they go to an immediate third fight? Ooh, ooh, that's interesting. Well, I guess, huh? That's a great question. Okay, so let me ask. So let's let's think this through. So if Amanda Nunes goes in there and within a single round does what she's been doing prior to the Pena fight, would there be an appetite for a third one? I don't think so. I think people would say, "Aha, first fight, she was all messed up. She righted the wrongs. Now we're back on the path. Don't worry about it." There's that version, because then you could match her up with Shevchenko for a third time. I guess there'd be overwhelming demand at that point. Yeah, here's the question you have to ask yourself. What has to happen for Amanda Nunes to A, win, but B, for a Pena third fight to supersede a desire to see a third fight with Shevchenko? I think it would have to be very, very, very controversial. Like some kind of horrific scorecard uh, judging some kind of egregious referee mistake, something like that. Other than that, I don't know what would supersede the desire uh, to see a third fight with Shevchenko. Maybe a fight in which Amanda clearly loses the opening rounds, is kind of getting handled, and then rallies for a finish. You know, also in play, Luke, okay? 
So like if she if if Pena wins the first three clearly 10-9. Like boxing, and, just jabbing her, and you're like, holy shit, but then Nunes makes a run, hurts her with a head kick, finishes her with punches. You're like, oh, I kind of have to see that again. Maybe. Maybe. I just feel like, here's the thing. I feel, I, my, my personal hunch is that if Nunes goes in there and wins, and it's, you know, reasonably speaking, above board, maybe you could have gone this way or that way with the scorecard, but yeah, she was like the rightful winner or something like that. The next question is going to be, let's get these two champs together again. Because yeah. Shevchenko is still the champ. And that, in this case, in the case you're positing, Amanda Nunes would, would then be the champion again. And then, by the way, you would have a fight where not all three belts are on the line. That, that wouldn't be the case. But you'd have three belts certainly on posters or something like that. Yeah. I, could the UFC really pass that up? I don't know that they could pass that up. No. You could, you could even... Put that as the battle for goat ship as much as people hate that fucking bullshit. I get it. All right, topic two, Luke, the co-main event. Interim flyweight title on the line as former champion Brandon Moreno, fresh off dropping the belt back to Devison Figueredo, is still going to be a minus 210 favorite in his own rematch against a surging Kai Kata France who comes in at plus 180 according to Caesars. They fought once in 2019. Moreno taking a unanimous decision to fight despite the fact that KKF really really had some good moments and won the opening round. Luke, we set the stage storyline-wise on Wednesday. We heard from Brandon Moreno. But Kai Kara France is coming on. How different will this second fight look than the first one, which Brett Okamoto did try to remind us all over social media. First fight was a damn good fight. Uh, France's nose got busted up. Action fight back and forth. Will it be the same scenario in the rematch? And by the way, if memory serves, and I believe this is true, uh, I don't have it in front of me to prove it, but I believe I heard this on the broadcast. I think Kaikara France was the favorite, the betting favorite anyway, heading into their first fight, which is kind of a funny thing to think yeah, about. Yeah, Moreno had come back from being cut, but then drew against Askar Askarov. So there was still a question of, of who right. he was, Luke. Right, fair enough. Um, I got to tell you, you know, you know me. I'm a, the biggest believer on this side of the ocean, so to speak, of uh, all those CKB guys. And... I want to be very clear about that. I think the, since the loss to Brandon Royville, Kaikara France, I wouldn't say reborn, but has really tightened up some of his deficiencies. I mean, really tightened up in the grappling, in the wrestling. You know, for Hogerio Bontarin to have his back for minutes and then to him to get him off and then polish him off on the feet inside of a round, incredible. Askar Askarov getting his back multiple times and then losing a close, but, you know, uh, tough fight just the same and one where, you know, a case for Kaikara France is not hard to make. So incredible that he was able, like, to me, that was a moment where I was like, oh, the old Kaikara France would have lost those fights. Yeah. Like, or not the Bonserin fight necessarily, but for sure the Askarov fight. Like, you couldn't deal with a guy for three rounds who had that kind of scrambling and wrestling and back-taking ability and win. And the fact that he did win tells you he is different. That's just a reality for me. I don't know if he can do it against Moreno. Really don't know. So... I went back and I watched the Figueredo fight with Moreno. I was like, what did Figueredo really do to get the win over Moreno? And one of the things he did was kind of interesting. He did go to the outside and inside leg kick a lot. Moreno was very heavy on that front leg. If you guys notice, he has like a real wide stance. And he leans kind of heavy in the front like this all the time. And Figueredo made him pay for it over and over and over again. That was one. But the other part that Figueredo did was he didn't counter fight all the time. That would not be true. There was a lot of times, for example... He'd be double jabbing and then low kicking his way in because Brandon would just kind of hold position. He doesn't really, he didn't slip a whole lot. 
cover up, and then you could see Figueredo do uh, what he does uh, commonly. Or a big weapon for him would be to you know level change or throw something and then wait for Brandon Moreno's hands to drop, and the left hook was very powerful for Figueredo. But that doesn't really explain fully what he did. The big insight for me was, one, slowing down the action, but more specifically, he let Moreno blitz. Yeah. And every time Moreno, who is... I mean, Moreno it looks like... You know, Moreno is very different from Hamzat Shemaev, but they both have that shot out of a cannon energy all the time. Figueredo used that against him. And every time he would blitz, he would get under it and level change and go for a takedown. And to be clear, Moreno would... St- I'll pull the stats up here in just a second, BC. Moreno would stuff him half the time, or they would have these crazy fucking scrambles all the time. And it was all a bunch of nonsense. In fact... In terms of overall takedown uh, uh, success rate, Figueredo was terrible. He only got 2 of 11, but that doesn't really tell the story. What ended up happening was when Figueredo needed to lead, he would stand at distance, throw the leg kick, double jab his way in, throw the left hook through these scenarios where he was getting transfer of defense. That was huge for him. And more commonly, he never let the blitz set up a scramble for, for Moreno or never let it lead to, you know, Oh, I'm going to stand my ground and brawl with you. No. Going to take all of that away. Deflating balloons constantly along the way. And that was a very successful game plan for him. It fucking worked. If you go to the first fight with Moreno and Kaikara France, Kaikara France stands very far away and does a lot of... He does faint a lot, obviously, coming from CKB. But he stands really far away and then goes low and then tries to come over the top and then comes over the top. There's a lot of like heavy overhanding as a way to distance close and then land, which, okay, that could work, but that's, you know, Moreno can see a lot of that coming, and he has great hand speed, great shot selection. It didn't really work all that well in the first fight, and you're like, okay, well, could he repeat what Figueredo did, which was allow the blitz and then clinch or present a takedown threat or whatever? Not like Figueredo can. No, not really. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Like, is Kaikara France talented enough to strike with anyone in this division? Yeah, certainly on paper it seems that way. But I will tell you, I, I think that Figueredo had just the right game plan, and it requires having a certain set of dimensional skills across the board. I'm not sure Kaikar France has. It Interesting. Is, it is absolutely clear to me on the defensive side that Kaikar France is massively improved in the striking and the wrestling. But in terms of being able to threaten that way to let the other parts of your game breathe... <clears throat> BC, I gotta say, I'm a little skeptical. That's that's fair, and that's an interesting way to look at it because it's hard not to get seduced by this run from Kaikata France, which is three straight wins. Are they all finishes? Yeah, no, no. The third one against Askarov's a decision, but right. you know, blowing away Bontarine by submission, knocking out Cody Garbrandt. No, he, he knocked out Bontarine on the feet, knocking him out. Excuse me on that. And when you look back at the first one, as you mentioned, you know, Moreno believes that it was his technical advantage in round two and three that won him that fight, but it is it is a different KKF. This KKF is a little bit more hell-bent on, on landing power shots. He's still darting in and out. He's still using speed and feints and quick combinations. But, Luke, you got to ask yourself. I mean, there is a line drawn in the sand in the great CKB gym, right? And on one side is Volkanovski and Adesanya, who are like otherworldly future Hall of Famer possible, you know, top five upper room goat ship contenders down the road. I mean, they are just next level special. And on the other side of that line is like, you know, Dan Hooker and, and you know, Brad Riddell and Carlos Ol- Carl. What's the guy's name? The real good looking Carlos guy. Olberg. Yeah. Carlos Olberg. 
it's like, I'm not going to ask you, is KKF on the level of Volkanovsky and Adesanya, but Luke, to, to become the third king of that gym and the third UFC champion, in this case an interim one, he's kind of going to have to be. And Luke, he looks like he's really close to being. Is this the fight where Kai Kata France makes the full leap? Because we, we do need to see what kind of adjustments Moreno can make after this type of loss. And he's made great adjustments in the past. He got cut and came back and won the title. He's still young and absolutely in his prime. But he's dealing with, as we talked about Wednesday, a more confident, a more precise, a striker who's going to dart in and out, but is also looking to, to leave that receipt on the way out. I think this is going to be a track meet. I think it's going to end, not disputedly, but you could score it either way. And I just think KKF is coming on in this moment, Luke. Mm. And it kind of breaks up the script, maybe even the script of what UFC is imagining here, by floating this interim belt that doesn't really need to be there, but capitalizes on another Mexican-American market in Dallas, makes this fight seem much bigger than it is. Maybe they think Moreno will win. Then we go to a fourth dance with Figueredo. Maybe five and six. Who knows what happens after that? I just feel like I'm feeling something from KKF, Luke, that's going to that's gonna be the spoiler in this situation. Not going to be easy. Going to have to be based on the judge's perspective. But I think it's in play that he can use movement, use volume, but he's going to have to swim without getting, getting wet, so to speak, and not get caught, not get the damage, Luke. We're going to have to see him raise it even another level to join that, that select group of Volk, Izzy, and CKB royalty, but I think it's in him, Luke. I really do. I think it's in him. It could be. It certainly could be. He is, it's, a, I mean, the odds are as close as you said for a reason, right? He can do a lot of things. And in fact, what's kind of interesting is, you know, this was the old KKF, and if Moreno, for example, was initiating takedowns or scrambles and could find the back, I think that would be curtains for Kaikar France. I mean, even if he was able to survive the control time would be extraordinary. Now, he still might be able, Moreno in this case, to get valuable control time. I would be very surprised to see Kai Kara France submitted. I, 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 that is not a scenario. Again, anything's possible. I don't perceive that as all that likely. I'd be very surprised to see Kai Kara France, you know, have his back taken and then just beaten on for minute after minute. That, I don't see that happening either. But from the combination of threats, like who has more threats in more dimensions of the game between these two? It's Moreno. Now, you could say, well, Kaikar France is a better striker than Moreno in totality, but A, they already fought and that didn't work. And B, even if you still want to hold on to that idea, how much better is he of a striker than Moreno? Probably modestly at most, right? Not much. And between the two dimensionalities that Moreno has, also Moreno, I think, has you know fought and beaten better guys, Kaikar France among them, um, kind of tells you that he's sort of seen what the mountaintop looks like. Now, there are some factors worth sort of talking about here. Moreno is no longer with his longtime gym, right? He left Entron Gym in, in, um, in I think it's either in Tijuana or Mexico City. I can't remember where the gym is located anymore, but in Mexico... Uh, he has gone from them. He has sort of relocated. And so you wonder exactly like, you know, I've had coaches tell me, you know, when a fighter relocates to a new camp, it takes a couple of them before they really kind of settle in and you can see the full, you know, uh, value of working with a new coach and that sort of scenario. So we'll see exactly what it all, yeah. what it all ends up doing for him. I take is that he seriously. Is training in his garage? I know the countdown cameras always catch him working out in his garage and, and he's got a beautiful family. Love me some Brandon Moreno, but is it really happening there, Luke? No, my understanding is he's with James Krause, right? Uh, I believe he is with with him, with over. With, I guess it's called you know uh, Glory or something, whatever the name of it is. 
again, uh, yeah, sorry, Glory MMA and Fitness in Kansas City. That's why he's over there now. Dude, James Cross is one of the smartest guys in the fucking game. Yeah. I mean, if anybody is going to have a good game plan, it's him. And by the way, Kaikara France has got Eugene Behrman in his corner, who might be the fucking best when it comes to game plans. No doubt about it. Where that me, you, the don't, you don't have a city kicking boner on the level for, for KKF that you do the other guys. I guess I got to say I do, but the problem with it, 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 the issue is this. Like, Izzy's, here's the thing. Izzy is also in the grappling department. Yeah, he threw up that triangle on Kelvin Gaslam. But one of the criticisms I've had of Izzy as his career has developed a little bit is he only really has, and it's it's overly simplified to say it this way, but he basically has one way to win, which is in the standing. Now, in the standing department, here's the difference. The difference for me is that Izzy's striking is just miles ahead of everyone else's, where you're getting multiple rotations now of contenders, and they still can't fucking find a way to do anything. And the, the best that they can do is not get knocked out, but they can't have any meaningful offense behind it. Like, he's that fucking good. He lords over that division, his striking. So, the fact that he is largely very defensive in the grappling and then the sort of the wrestling department, while it is somewhat of a knock on his game, it just doesn't really matter as much right now, given how substantial his advantage is on the feet. Kaikara France is not in that space. He has very, very good striking, but he does not lord it over the flyweights in that way. So while he does have significantly improved defensive wrestling and defensive grappling, his ace in the hole isn't as substantial as it is for someone like uh, Izzy. Conversely, for someone like Volkanovski, I do think that other guys can hang with him in the striking department. You know, last fight with Max notwithstanding. You know, guys have hurt him on the feet. He's been dropped before, but he has full dimensionality in all kinds of ways with his takedowns, with his submission defense, with his ground and pound, with his gas tank. He can weaponize it in a lot of different directions. Kaikar Francis is is very, very good in the striking, and I want to be clear, 100% a winnable fight. But he is not like Izzy. He does not have that same advantage over the division where he can let other parts of his game be a little bit more defensively oriented without the same kind of offense behind it. Very fair, very fair. It's why the odds are so close. Great fight, rematch, interim title tag or not. Figueredo most likely next for the winner unless he ends up moving up, Luke. I know he's threatened a couple times. Pay me more. I don't more. believe that, by the way. Pay me more, I'll move up. But he's got new management. He's got, you know, Uri Faber is part of that, that, that team now. So we'll see what happens there. Can't wait for this fight. I just think KKF is going to rock you. Get your plus money now. So, so uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you. me this, something. Yeah. This, this one goes the distance, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. The flyweights have to go the distance. I just don't see you. I, I mean, Kaikar France has a good chin. He's battle-tested. I Again, I would be very surprised to see him submitted. And, dude, Brandon Moreno. He's been through <laughs> it. He's been through he's it. He's been through it with the very yeah. best of them. So yeah. this one I see going the full five. All right, Luke, topic three is the rest of UFC 277. This could be a short conversation. Have you been um, entertained at all by the sour nature of Derek Lewis during his interviews this week? He's, uh, I mean, he gave kind of a jab at John Morgan's neckline. He said if he if he buys the UFC one day, he's going to come after all this MMA media. Uh, he also couldn't come up with the name of the guy he's fighting. Luke, it's Sergey Pavlovich, who is a <laughs> minus-130 favorite by the way, has won two in a row since being stopped by Alistair Overeem. Here's the deal, Luke. Lewis is 37. He's been stopped in self-implosive ways in two of his last three fights. One by Cyril Gaon, one by Tai Tuivasa. Both where you're just like, oh shit, is he going? Oh, he's gone. He's out. 
It's over. Not his best, Luke. Not his best. Mm -mm. It's just really hard because he doesn't give a fuck about this. He doesn't care about titles, rankings, positioning. He's always said from day one, I'm here to make money and feed my kids and, and you know, have a little fun. But I hate this shit. Dude, if anybody is a is a is a sly fox, is a you know a crazy like it's this guy, dude. He's he. Here's the deal: to beat him historically, Luke, you kind of have to prove that you're either a leader, or maybe you're on your way there. Ty Tuivasa still kind of up in the air, but let's give him credit. He overwhelmed Lewis. He found the the weak spot. He got him out of there. I don't. I have not yet to believe that Sergey Pavlovich is on this level. So Luke, even at 37, even with the rotund belly. And even with some very forgettable performances, remember that Latifi fight? Just, I mean, Derek Lewis can go out there and shit his pants. But he's got motivation here to come back, get a survive and advance win. I think he gets it, Luke. Well, how do you handicap in this matchup? Man, I don't know. I don't know, because here's the thing. You're looking at these shots from the Taito Ivasa fight. Part of the reason Taito Ivasa won is that he's a fucking refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like... His chin and his ability to absorb damage is next fucking level. Like, is there anything more certified than Derek Lewis's punching power? Like, ask Curtis Blades. I think Curtis Blades is overall a much better fighter than Derek Lewis. But, but, it didn't fucking matter. It didn't fucking matter at all because that uppercut that he threw was brilliantly timed. He's battle-tested too, by the way. Like, you know, to your point, for better or for worse, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Lewis has been in there with the very best of them. And, you know, I think part of the reason, like, dude, how many heavyweights would have survived some of the punches that Derek Lewis was landing on Taito Ivasa? Not many. No. Nah. Not many. No. Nah. So, you know, I, and here's the thing with this. Sergey Pavlovich, he has some nice wins over Abdurakimov and Green and Golm. Golm, by the way, just fought over in uh, Bellator. That was the guy who beat your guy, Darian Foster, I think was his name. Um, My guy? Well, the one you said was <laughs> the, sh the sure bet. <laughs> um Davion Franklin, Luke, that was my best Davion Franklin, of the sorry, yeah. what am I saying? Foster, what am I saying? I can't keep the name straight. Arian Foster, is that where you're going with this? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about Foster's beer. What are you going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm washed. All right, but the point I'm trying to make here is I do remember the Overeem fight very clearly. Now, granted, that was his UFC debut, and hello, that was Alistair Overeem. But, dude, Overeem beat the fuck out of him. I mean, it was, it was a one-way shellacking. So, like, the wins that he's gotten since then are nice. His record is nice. Some of his numbers are nice for... Sergey Pavlovich, he lands six strikes per minute, a little bit over. It's really high. Kind of absorbs a lot, though. 4.45, that's kind of also high. Here's the thing. I I'm going to ride with Derek Lewis in this one. You know, the loss to Tuivasa wasn't great, and maybe Pavlovich is a lot better than we all think. I'm happy to eat crow on Monday for all of the picks that we make. You know, who the hell knows? But the truth is this. Like, Derek Lewis, I, I am a little bit worried about how his mental state after suffering that knockout in the way that he did, you know, I, I I wonder where he is with that. But he's got big power. He's beaten guys better than this before. Uh, Pavlovich, not really a heavy takedown guy necessarily. Um, I you know I gotta tell you I I I I just don't have. I'll say it this way, BC. Maybe you agree. I just don't have a compelling reason for me to pick Pavlovich yeah. at this moment. Let me dead wrong myself. He's won three since that UFC debut lost over him, and all three by knockout, but a certain level of com competition. Now, if Lewis's heart is just not in it and he doesn't come in in great shape, right. is he suspect to get walked down by a guy who won't go away? Yeah, we just freaking saw it. But, look, because he doesn't care, we've seen him bounce back. Dude, I, I, I mean, I'll say it ad nauseum, but when he lost to Derek Lewis, I mean to Daniel Cormier, he got to the title level. He went all in and went for it. 
He got dominated. I didn't know if he'd still care and still make comebacks. He's come back a few times from that. Yeah, I just haven't seen enough from Pavlovich. So let's let Derek Lewis go out there, do Derek Lewis stuff, get the knockout, make a ridiculous comment afterwards, and then Luke will see him against another huge name because that's what he does. All Let right? me ask and, you: Are you where? Where are you on? Uh, do you do you? Is it at all in your mind that Lewis is coming off of a bad knockout loss that that could play a role here? No, because I don't think it's in his mind. That's the difference. I think he's really just a gunslinger. It was like, okay, next chapter, next next barroom brawl, let's do it. Like and that's like just you what said, happens with this style. And like, there's you know, a certain level of people that could take his punches, but that level is very small, and it's typically the elite, Luke. So you know that's what it's going to come down to here. Obviously, um, Lewis at plus money. Yeah, I'm going to take this bet against Pavlovich. Thank you very much, uh, Luke. Before we get into Ankalaev Smith, probably the best fight, you know, besides the top two, without question. Alexandre Pantoja in this flyweight division, taking on Alex Perez, who fought for the title as a late replacement, hasn't fought since. Perez 150 plus 155, Pantoja minus 180. Are either of these guys in your eyes kind of still in this greater title picture, which has ridiculous parity? Is there something to really gain in this fight to, to, to sort of crack that party atop the, the division? I think Pantoja is the guy that could do it. He has a loss to Figueredo, fair enough, but he's got wins over Snell. He's got the loss to Askarov. I, I believe that one was controversial. Then he's got the wins over Cop and then Royville. Um, he can do it. He is a guy to me that looks better than ever, or at least I, I would say continues to improve. I think this might be a better way to put that. Uh, it has well-rounded skills. Before it was kind of like, you know, grappling-centric or whatever, and now I think has a little bit more to the story with that. And that's why it's a bit of a problem for, for Alex Perez, who is a talented guy, but to your point, has been off for a long-ass time. And part of the way in which he got overwhelmed against Figueredo in his last fight was Figueredo used basically tricky grappling. Like, I'm not saying Pantoja's on the level of Figueredo when it comes to that, but he's not far apart either. Very good at finding the back, very good finishes from the back, excellent back attacks. You know, I just feel like for Perez, who is a good kind of wrestle boxer, Pantoja might find himself like out athletic with a guy who's just ready to like you know down block and get out of the way and break contact and and sit on his punches yeah that maybe that maybe could win I mean, it certainly would have beaten the older version of pantoja with that i i agree but this newer one looks to me a little bit more a little bit more able to balance those kinds of competing um uh challenges and it's a tough fight for perez especially with again especially with that layoff i like pantoja is a guy to me who, let's see how. Let's see not just if he wins this. Let's see how. Let's, let's see how he does it, and if it comes relatively easily. Because if he does, you can see him here uh, beating Royville from the back. He's got good jujitsu. He can strike now a little bit. Yeah, he, he he might. He's someone to keep your eye on for sure. Absolutely, I fully agree with you. I like his chances in this fight. Alex Perez is tough, but I, I do think if somebody's gonna gonna crack into that mold and maybe eventually work their way into a title shot, it could be Pantoja. He does seem to have that game can be flashy, can be aggressive, can go after it. You got to be that in this division where the could be hot potato belt season. We'll see what happens. Luke, let's focus on it now. Magomed Ankalaev, Anthony Smith. So much at stake here at 205. Maybe potentially the winner, even passing Blahovich and Glover for that next shot at Yuri Prohatska, but it would take something spectacular. That aside, Ankalaev, a monster favorite, minus 500. A lot of people talking... That could be too much, could be too far, but his win streak has shown you, Luke, that he could do some special things. But at plus 400, Anthony Smith is coming in. Three-fight win streak, all by stoppage. 
Never goes away, this guy, Luke. He's consistent. He's tough as shit. He bounces back from big defeats. He grinds out victories. Can this man, the much maligned man on this show, polarizing man on this show, <laughs> although we love his instincts and his backbone, can this guy, Anthony Smith, pull the upset and put that hammer back in the cabinet come Saturday night, Luke? Uh, I think he can, I, although I will candidly say I agree. You know, minus 500 or whatever it was. Let me look it up here. Our friends at Caesars. Was it really minus five? Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Plus 400 for Smith. Yeah. Actually, it's minus 550 at the moment. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little high. Other places have him at minus 600. To me, that seems a little bit unfair, if I'm being honest with you. But I do believe that he is very, very talented. And I do believe that he is the guy to beat um, in terms of rising contenders in this division. So I, I somewhat, you know, understand the heavy nod. I mean, again, here's the thing. It's like, it's a tough fight for Anthony Smith. But you're asking, like, on what way is it winnable? Um, back attacks is the thing for me. Now, the problem for him with the back attacks is the wrestling may or may not be there. In fact, if you look at the takedown accuracy of Anthony Smith, and takedown accuracy is something that doesn't need to be high, but it can be, you know, somewhere in the high 40s, low 50s, that would be a good number. The problem is for Anthony Smith, it's 28%. That's slow. It's low. It's not high. It's not like he has bad wrestling, but he doesn't have the kind of finishing off of any clinching opportunities that he might need to really, truly threaten a guy like Ankalaev, where he could, you know, get the body lock, throw him around, force him to his hands, and then take the back right away. In fact, Anthony Smith kind of likes to strike it out, right? He, he likes to duke it out, for better or for worse. He actually has a negative differential. He lands three strikes per minute and absorbs about 4.3. He's got over an integer as a negative, um, as a negative um, differential there. But to me, uh, there's a couple of ways, I think, if he is patient, we have seen Ankalaev kind of match that intensity. Like, if you are overly aggressive, which sometimes Smith has a tendency to be, that could be problem a problem for him, but... I think if he actually slows this down, goes to the leg kick, forces contact, I don't necessarily recommend pulling guard, but I don't even think that's necessarily out of the question. What I think he really has to do is back up and force Ankalaev's action towards him. Yeah. And I think look for look for the body lock, look for trips, force him to his hands, sit him to his butt with any kind of tripping, something like that, and then work from the back. His back attacks are the probably the very best at light heavyweight. I mean that genuinely. I don't know who has better attacks from the back at actively inside the top 15 at 205 pounds at him. You're looking at his win streak over Clark and Crute and Span. You know, these are guys that I think he was just much better than on the feet, and they kind of charged into him, and he he they didn't have anything for him. Ankalaev is going to be more careful. The key here for Anthony Smith, no matter what way he wants to go, he has got to make a guy like Ankalaev make mistakes. He has got to make him make mistakes. And how do you do that? Probably a few different ways, but you've got to force this dude off of the sort of steady pattern of offense that he gets going. I'll be curious to see what he does. And Kaliev riding an eight-fight win streak since that 2018 submission loss in his UFC debut to Paul Craig. It's included pair of knockouts of Kutelaba, decisions over Krilov, Ozdemir, Maheta. I mean, you know, there's those who kind of believe this guy already is the best lightweight in the division. He just hasn't gotten his title shot yet. If he beats Anthony Smith, it's going to be hard to keep him away. There's that old, look, you see that stat that floats around on Twitter when it comes to MMA betting. If you have any form of Magomed in your name, <laughs> the, the percentage of betting them to win is like, 
guaranteed money coming out of your faucet. Just turn it on, Luke, and the gold comes out. Could be the case here. We're going to find out a very important bout. A lot of, lot, of, lot of stakes here. I've told you, come around. I know who Anthony Smith is at this call. I'm cheering for him. But it is an uphill battle. It'll be interesting to see. Um, the advantages there in the grappling in terms of submission threat is is real for Smith. But do you want to dance with the hammer, Luke, to get to that point? You know? It's tough. The other part, too, is, dude, here's another part that's tough for Anthony Smith. Amagomed Ankalaev's striking defense. Usually this is around 50%, sometimes high 50s. Uh, for the very good ones, it's in the 60s. Amagomed Ankalaev, 61%. That's high. He does not get hit a lot. That's uh, that's a big problem that Anthony Smith's going to have to solve. Luke, what's the most important fight on this card beyond the main the main pay per view portion? Is it Ooh. Drew Dober? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And what is it? I mean, there's not mm. much to pick with, Luke. It's like, it's not necessarily picking kernels of corn out of your shit. I mean, who does that, Luke, right? You know what I mean? Who does that, right? Have you done that? Let's just ask no, that. Have you done no. that before? I no. mean, that is true. How are we winning awards? This is the dumbest show. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'll say this. I don't know if it's the most important, but I will I will mention this. Matthew Semmelsberger is a guy out of the D.C. area. He's a good fighter. Uh, Alex Morneau out of Texas, a good fighter. Uh, Semmelsberger, a bit of a heavier puncher, I think, of the two, a little more physical of the two. Doesn't have the experience that Morano does against better opposition, but uh, it's a close one. Our friends at Caesars have Semmelsberger as a minus 155, Morano as a plus 130. I think that's fair. To me, it's closer to a pick 'em. I, 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 I like seeing guys from the D.C. area get going, in part because I'll say this. Around this neck of the woods, we have very good camps. Right there's Kaizen MMA and there's Clinch Academy and there's the, you know, obviously Lloyd Irvin uh, has a, uh, a gym out in Camp Springs Maryland and the Yamasakis are here, but Ryan a lot of it's like heavily jujitsu based. Yeah, it's Ryan not Hall. a lot of say what Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall is fifty fifty, but that sort sort of serves my point, right? It's more jujitsu based. It's not there are MMA guys that train there, but it's a little bit more again with the grappling base. And I would like to see some of the MMA guys really begin to. Oh, I'd like to see them succeed here, and I would like to see some of these smaller gyms you know, be able to create a guy, not just get credit, but get credit for the right reasons to get, to be able to create a guy who can level up through the ranks. And, you know, the, you know Matthew Semmelsberger has a long way to go. But uh, I don't know if you saw this. He did like, the, uh, there's a, I forget, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's like Alex Barron or Barron. I can't pronounce his last name. He's the one that does those humanizing athletes tweets where he gets them to a- answer like favorite movie, favorite color, whatever. Semmelsberger has, uh, was asked who his favorite athlete was and he picked Sean Taylor, the late Sean Taylor. And, uh, you know, anytime I see that, you know me, BC, I can't, I can't be like cheering for other people at that point. So I'd like to see Matthew Semmelsberg and see what he can do.
All right. Shout out to D.C. there, the greater DMV area. Shout out to Chevy Chase, Maryland, Luke. Chevy Chase, Maryland's a very nice area. I don't know much about it. Luke, what, I don't know much about it. What's your favorite Chevy Chase performance? Oh, that's such a good question. Fucking A. Um, wow, what a good question. I would say... What I mean, was the National Lampoon's vacation where he gets lost and he asks the dude for directions and the guy goes, man, yeah. fuck your mama. Fuck your, that's in St. Louis in the original vacation of that four-part series. Uh, that one I, was epic. I think you can't go wrong with vacation, Christmas vacation, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. But dude, Spies Like Us, which is one of those weird Another 80s comedy yes. movies that's brilliant. Him and Ackroyd are brilliant, but it's not like when you play it back for people, they're like, this is what you were telling me about? This weird movie but it's brilliant it is of that but you know fletch is also in the conversation luke okay fletch here's the thing what people don't understand about those comedians like the bill murray like i'm not talking current bill murray who i think is just the loudest asshole at the wedding i'm talking like prime bill murray like stripes bill murray the first ghostbusters bill murray that bill murray and you mentioned dan Aykroyd, steve martin john candy john larroquette those guys yeah those guys were all masters of subtlety, which yes. modern comedies are all just bang you over the head. Everyone's talking over each other. Those guys were all super, super deaf, just the right turn of the dial. And uh, I agree, Spies Like Us gets gets to the heart of that. I'll have a Bloody Mary and a steak sandwich <laughs> and a steak sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love that motherfucker. Uh, Luke, apparently you, he's a nightmare to work with. Do you care about 5-0 and o heavyweight... Hamdi the Hammer Abdel Wahab, who will make his UFC debut on Saturday, fresh off four first-round knockout wins, including three under the Jorge Masvidal game-bred or icon fighting banner. Luke, he has not fought active bodies here, but he's going to make his debut against Dantel Mays. I know you don't care. You don't care. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not here to disrespect these athletes. They have a tough job, but Mays has been, you know, kind of hanging on to a UFC career by a thread a little bit, and he's the favorite here. So, yeah. um, And does does Blood Diamond Mike M Matethi, Luke, of, of CKB fame, who lost his UFC debut, does he get cut from the gym if he loses again here, Luke, to open this card? Uh, I don't think he gets cut from the gym, but he's also not favorite to wins. Our friend at Caesars has him as a plus 150. You know, I just didn't see a lot. I, I think he fought Jeremiah Wells in his debut. Now, Jeremiah Wells is very good. Trains with Sean Brady. Big old fucking muscular dude. But um, yeah, I didn't see a whole lot there to, you know, get confidence for a long, sustained UFC run. All right, Luke. Topic four this week is quick hitters. I want to get your take on a couple of these news items that came across the the uh, ethosphere, the, the newswire. Uh, look, the, the ABC, yeah, the, uh, whatever, uh, the ABC, the association of boxing commissions has changed the rules in MMA, Luke on eye pokes, timeouts and neoprene sleeves for eye pokes. Should a referee call for timeout to address one, the afflicted fighter will now have a maximum of five minutes to recover from the fall after five minutes. Should the fighter be unable to continue? The bout will be waved off. The result then depends on what round and the time of the bout that reached up. What are we changing? I thought that was the rule. What's the change? No, here? so the rule, so actually that's not the rule. That what they've kind of done is formalize the process. The only prior to this, the only five minute rule on the book was about groin strikes. Ah. So if you got kicked in the balls, they uh, they would put the five minute clock on. When you got poked in the eye, they kind of just gave you enough time to like, you know, you know, rub your eye out or whatever. 
now you're also going to be on the clock. It doesn't meaningfully change the fights all that much, but at least there's now a formalized process under then, hey, motherfucker, you good to go? All right, let's go. You know, now there's a clock. <laughs> I thought you were going to say gave you uh, enough time to rub one out, and then I wouldn't need the full five minutes there. Yeah, Luke, I, would, right? I would need 30 seconds oh, and I'd be ready to rock, wow, so let's wow, do that. Okay. Uh, Luke, on sleeves, a competitor may use soft neoprene-type sleeves to cover only the knee or ankle joints Approved sleeves may not have padding, Velcro, plastic, metal, ties, or any other material considered to be unsafe. That may create an advantage. Tape and gauze or any other materials, then the approved sleeves are not permitted on the lower body. The sleeves must be black in color. I don't care. Do you care, Luke? Does this matter? You don't well, care. not really, but here's the thing. Remember, this is not a federal rule. This is the Association of Boxing Commissions, which does have the capacity to you know, regulate boxing nationally uh, in certain ways, but... Um, not in MMA, so this will just be a recommendation. So it may or may not mean a whole lot. In All other right, words, Luke. like California could be like, no, we don't allow you to use neoprene sleeves. And Texas can be like, hell, y'all want to tape up? Just do what you want. True or false, UFC flyweight fighter Matt Schnell DM'd you and said that your co-host says your name too often. Uh, that's true. He did say that, yes. <laughs> That's a true statement. I, I'm trying to work on that, Luke. All right. Uh, I say next, BC all the time, too, so I'm guilty. Yeah. Well, the, the reason why I say your name so often is because I, I can feel you drifting. <laughs> so I always try to get your attention back, Luke, okay? That's that's the thing. Uh, finally, a news outlet of sorts had the balls to ask <laughs> UFC President Dana White about the fallout of that $250,000 gift inside the bag that he gave to the Nelk boys, the podcasters who were friends with his son, Dana White III. Look, it was the Pat McAfee show, which is a very UFC-friendly environment. Here's the quote from Dana, who went on, by the way, Luke, to quote, blame to blame this on, quote, the scumbag MMA media. Let me set this record straight, Dana said. First of all, all these people on the internet can go fuck themselves. I spend my money however the fuck I want to spend my money. Mind your own fucking business, number one. And number two, if you look at what Kyle and the Neck Boys have done as far as Hollerhead and a lot of other things they've done, those kids have never asked me for anything, ever. Never asked me for anything. And they couldn't be better people. Kyle has done so many things for me. And believe me, the 250000 that I have that I gave him for his birthday doesn't even cover the amount of things that that kid has done for me. So don't count other people's money. And mind your own fucking business, you scumbag MMA media. I added that last part. End quote. <laughs> Luke, am I going to be in another hit job video? I mean, look, the classic Dana. Let me not address the actual issue here, which is the optics of you doing that amid fighter paces and the same two-day stretch in which we find out that you're paying lobbyists to stop your own fighters from being able to organize, unionize. The issue isn't the money of the fucking Nelk boys. The issue is that you're sitting here saying you don't know what Kyle's done for us. He bought me a Howlerhead van. Fuck off! What has John Jones done for you? What has George so, St. Pierre done for you? He made him a lot of money. What has Cabbage Correa done for you? I had a war with Arlo I had a fun fight with Arlovsky. Luke, how do you respond to this? You don't. I mean, there's no... Like, this is the thing. It's like sometimes we're like, hey, did you see what so-and-so said about you on their podcast? And I'm like, no. And then I'll hear it, and it's just insults. And it's like, well, you want me to respond to, like, these insults? Like, I don't have anything to say. I don't get I mean, I'm a 42-year-old man. I don't give a fuck what your stupid insult is. Do you have a point you'd like to make? I can, I can respond to that. 
So he didn't really make a point here. But the the one that the people who are trying to defend this say is like, well, it is his money. He can spend it how he wants. Well, on some level, that's quite obviously true. But here's the problem. Endeavor is public. And how the UFC pays its executives relative to how they pay their talent is quite literally, especially on top of the fact that the court documents have been released, uh, quite literally public. Like It is quite literally public information, quite literally in the public's interest in that way. More to the point. They put it on fucking social media. Yeah. If you <laughs> like, how dare the public weigh in on a thing that we broadcasted to the public? I mean, like, what? What? Like, I, it doesn't. It, it Listen, this is what I told. I said this when I was on Rogan's show in October of 2020 or whenever the fuck that was at this point. This is what I said. You're at on the time, Rogan? And, yeah, I know. I don't, but I don't I, recall. It's, just, I, 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 it's, it, it's helpful because it's something that people can find. Right. People okay. can find this. Right. You okay. can go and hear this. The argument about fighter pay is over. People like to still debate it, like whether or not guys get enough. It's fucking over. I saw Daniel Cormier was on one of the podcasts that he does with his co-host, but it's not that one. It's uh, with Ryan Clark. It's another one that he does. It's a football-related podcast. And he was like, oh, I one time got a million dollars as a bonus after fighting, I think it was John Jones the first time or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's great. Does any of that change any of the information that we already know to be true from that year about fighter pay no none of it changes it's still 17 to 18 percent in totality the argument is fucking over the only argument left is what you want to do about it which is either a nothing b ali act or c unionization that is fucking it dude that is it it is over it is done it is cooked more to the point even if the argument is you know how he spends his money is how he spends his money yeah right but here's the thing man we know what the fighter pay ratio is in terms of the, the 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 proportion of what they get and how grossly unfair it is. We know that to your point, UFC lobbies in various states to like make sure athletic commissions don't, for example, in Florida, show what pay is under the guise that it's a trade secret. I mean, this is total bullshit. That's in the public's interest and public information as well, by the way. You can add that in. And then if you're lavishly spending money on a bunch of dopes who have a fucking podcast. Because they're nice to this, you know, alcohol he's involved with or whatever the fuck. It's like, dude, the intersection of that with what is regularly public information, especially when it's broadcasted on social media, more than makes it in the public's interest to talk about. It's not an accident. We wouldn't have known about it, but for the fact that we know what fighter pay is, we know about it because fighters have sued. We know about it because fighter and MMA media has reported about, you know, the various and by the way, it's not just UFC, but various promoter interests in concealing pay to protect their own interests. We know about all these things because we've made them public or they have made them public. They all intersect together. It's the public's f- absolute full right to talk about it, and they're going to keep doing it, right? That's just the reality. So, you know, there's no argument to make back about that. What are you going to say? We don't take too much money? They, they, of course they do. We all know they do. That, they, 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 this this argument is over. Yeah, no, it's the optics. I mean, obviously Dana is right in the sense that, yeah, you can do whatever the hell you want for your money, you know, with your money. Like, that's not our business, although you made it our business by flaunting it. But I just love that that it's never answer the actual spirit of the question, and every question ends with the scumbag MMA media. If I'm a scumbag for bringing facts to the forefront that supports these fighters and athletes who are the reason... Dana's able to make this much money. Okay, Dana's savvy, yeah. Great business relationship with the Fertitas who took big chances, yes. But the fighters are the reason he's able to make the $27 million a year or whatever it is, Luke. I mean, it's like, do you not understand those optics are ridiculous? But you know who the real scumbag MMA media is, Luke? Huh. The people that can show up to every single press conference or scrum with Dana 
and not bring up and ask him, what's up with all the, the, the story we saw and all the money that's going to lobbyists to, to essentially counteract the fighter's interest? I don't know if someone has asked him about that, and I'll withhold judgment on anyone if they have, Luke. But to show up consistently, and I get, I get, dude, that this is a gray area, and that anything we even say right here can be pulled out of contest, texted to Dana by somebody. He can look at it, go, "What's that guy's name?" Don't ever give him a credential again. I get that. That's part of this. It is. There's a there's a track record of this, right? It happens. Ask Josh Gross, right? Ask people who've been through that. Loretta Hunt has been trashed publicly. Ask people who's been through that. But you know who the real scumbags are? The people that can show up every single day, Luke, and ask about Howlerhead and and uh, and ask about, you know, uh, has Beulah fighting in the cage and not ask about this stuff. That's what I got to say at the end of the day, okay? Yeah, Thank it you. can be that way too. Although, you know, again, I want to, people like to blame the individual journalist. I'll defend him here a little bit. You're right. I mean, I, the spirit of your question is totally fair, or the, your, your uh, argument is totally fair. But also, dude, like the companies, like, we're lucky we can get, you know, we are we are permitted to do what we want with the show. Like we are, BC and I have so much creative control. It's, we, we almost have too much to be honest with you. But like, I have worked in places and, and I know you have as well, where they don't really care about that kind of stuff. Their editor never asked them to look for it. And in fact, what they would rather have is a media outlet that has a positive relationship with various promoters, UFC included, where they can just send their guys to go and talk about the fights and, you know, kind of give passive coverage of these more controversial issues and then everyone moves on. All the fighters and a lot of people get mad at Bloody Elbow. Dude, Bloody Elbow is one of the better sites uh, in, in the sport. They've made plenty of mistakes. I used to run it. I made mistakes when I ran it. But they are one of the very few places that have given a voice to, like, Kareem Zidane. They're one of the very few places that gave a voice to John Nash. They're one of the very few places that are willing to be like, hey, I don't think everything in the fight game is great. Some things are really fucked up. We should talk about those things. And all the other sites and all these other places don't do hardly any of that shit. Bloody Elbow, by the way, cannot get a credential to go to UFC events. I don't believe. I could be wrong about that. But last I understood, that was the case. Um, so shouts to all the journalists who like actually do oh, right. journalism, yeah. them being chief among them. And, and there are. And look, I'll give Aaron Bronstetter a shout. You know, he's got he's to balance both priorities. He works for a company that is the official broadcast partner in that country, but does ask Dana some hard questions. And there is a way to do it, Luke, okay? I had Dana on CBS Sports HQ in the midst of the pandemic. Did I ask him about the backlash of, of you're damn right. Did I ask him whether Endeavor's financial situation is the reason why Taichi Palace almost happened? You're damn right I asked him, Luke. Okay, there's a way to do it and be savvy with that. Luke, is that why next... you haven't had a conversation with him since? <laughs> No, I actually have. I actually have. Maybe oh, it's more okay. the brand on the microphone. Look, it's not a perfect science. You can lose it all. You can, you know what I mean? But, but at the end of the day, come on. Uh, Tyson Fury, Luke. Confirming he's in talks with half Thor Bjornsson. I know. I saw this. Uh, I, what the fuck? He told Telegraph Spore it would be a bit of fun. It would be great to get in there in front of 70,000 fans and show them what boxing is all about. Luke, I don't give a damn about this. Yeah, the Mountain is trying to leverage everything he can from his role as the Mountain. I like Half Thor. He set the deadlift record during the pandemic, although there's some controversy about it. But um, he's a legitimate strongman. He's a legitimate world's strongest man champion. He's a legitimate deadlift record holder. Again, there's some controversy, but it did count. Uh, you know, for his exploits in that world, I have enormous respect for him. And, you know, he actually tried to, like, get good at boxing and as much as he could. And he lost, like, 100 pounds. And he's, you know, he's got he's 300-plus pounds with abs, which... I'm sure it came strictly from eating tapioca and getting a good night's sleep, but um, you know, boxing because he's the. But for folks who may not realize, he's the same height or maybe even a little bit taller than Tyson Fury. I think they're both like six nine. Maybe the mountains like six ten. But you know, 
who gives a shit? <laughs> like Tyson Fury would box his fucking ears off in any kind of real contest. It's stupid. I mean, you know, I don't know what Tyson's doing, but I, I count me out. And finally, Luke, we're eight days away from Jake Paul, Hasim Rahman Jr. Showtime pay per view, August sixth, MSG. Rockman, by the way, told I the same this. story to Ariel on the MMA Hour. Here's his quotes from the DAZN boxing show recently. He's claiming Jake Paul's team did a bait and switch to get him to sign. Here's the quote. They called me and wanted to know what my weight was, how much I had been sparring, and all this and that. And they dressed it up as if they were calling me to spar Jake for an upcoming Anderson Silva fight because they needed a southpaw. They took that information I gave them, and an hour later, I get a call from my manager saying they want to fight. But it was one of those bait-and-switch things where they baited me into getting all the information they could, and then they switched it. Luke, he also told Ariel specifically that when they called him back, they said, here's your offer, here's the money, take it or leave it right now. Is this... Normal business practice? Did they get him? What do you what do you respond with here, Luke? I, I mean, here's the thing. Is it cheating? No. No. It's smart. It's real clever. It's a little dirty, a little underhanded, but it's smart. It's very smart. So, you know, dude, I say this about Jake all the time. Like, you can like him, you can hate him. You don't want to watch his pay-per-view, don't watch it. Like it's it, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. But pay, use your money in the combat sports world and your time however you want. He is not successful by accident he's just not you you can you can you can like that fact or you can hate that fact he's not successful by accident now i do think he might we'll see on august 6 if he's getting over his skis a little bit with the Sassim rockman thing but even then like it's a weird kind of shitty way to do due diligence <laughs> but it's due diligence right isn't that yeah. at the end of the day it's kind of what it is so you got to be like you know they, they he's dude and also his manager nikisa Smart guy, real they are smart, smart guy. You know yeah. they don't. They don't. They they're clever. Those are clever people. I say they because Jake also has shown some legit savviness. I mean, I'm sure Woj and Schefter have done worse to get information from somebody. Luke, okay, Mister Editor, you know where I'm going there. Topic five, Luke. It goes down Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. A triple header from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn only. On Showtime, when Danny Garcia, the swag champ himself, DSG makes his return after a long layoff from that pay-per-view loss to Errol Spence in his debut at junior middleweight 154, and it'll come against former welterweight title contender Jose Benavidez Jr., the older brother of super middleweight David Benavidez. Luke, you will be calling a two-fight prelim sort of watch-along party that goes down 7 p.m. Eastern Saturday from the Barclays Center, Showtime Sports' YouTube channel. As we mentioned, you, Raul Marquez, Jerron Boots Ennis. But Luke, as you look at this main event, Danny Garcia is a big favorite here as Benavidez, not a regular junior middleweight, has fought just one time in the last four years since his loss to Terrence Crawford, a 12th round knockout in their title fight. That comeback bout, Luke, yeah, didn't look great. But here's the situation come Saturday night. He's going to have a big opportunity against one of the biggest names of this sport, Danny Garcia. What are your expectations in seeing DSG at 154? I'm curious about this one. He took time off, so I think he's probably going to fill out. He's not a big like, – you would agree with me, right? He's not a big – he wasn't a huge 147 guy, although he was good size. Right? Good a little power. Sh but good yeah. power. A little on the shorter side, but not like outsized. So I don't I'm, – I'm a little – here's what I'm just at. Do I think he can beat Benavidez, uh, Joe Benavidez, Jose Benavidez? Yes, I do. Um, I'm curious about the power. I think he'll have enough. 
I still don't know, and maybe you can tell me better. Like, for folks who may not know, Benavidez was walking his dog in 2016 or maybe 2015, yes. and some guy ran up on him and shot him, and he lived, obviously, but uh, there was questions about his leg. And if you go back to the Terrence Crawford fight where Crawford beats Benavidez, Benavidez afterwards is like, yeah, well, Crawford beat me on one leg. That was 2018. It's been four years, but he hasn't had many fights since then. So, like, Danny Garcia should be the faster of the two and should have enough power and I, I often feel like Danny Garcia, obviously he's a pretty tremendous favorite. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Like, okay, dude, that fight with Thurman could have gone either way, to be honest with you. Now, he, he he couldn't get it done against Spence. And I think part of the reason why he's going to 154 is because, like, the very best opportunities for him, are, the door's a little bit closed at 147, so he's going to kick the tires at 154 and see what happens. But here's the thing for me, BC. It's like, okay, let's say he goes in there and beats Benavidez. What is he going to call for? He's probably going to call for Jermel Charlo. And it's like, dude, I don't like that fight for Danny Garcia at all. I think Charlo would run over him. So I I, I, I actually appreciate Danny Garcia. I, I like the kind of boxer that he is. He didn't have the acclaim coming up that Benavidez did, who had the, the great amateur career. Sure. Kind of Garcia had to you know earn it a little bit more slowly over time. And he's fought tough guys. I know everyone kind of you know rags on him for the Salka fight, but he fought tough guys too at 147. Like, he really did. But... I, it's not that this fight I don't think he can win. It's just I don't know how far he can really go at 154. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, there's some questions. That's why there's a lot of intrigue in in the idea of what's he going to look like. New weight class, long time off. Benavidez is an opponent where on one side you can say, okay, maybe this is a little bit of a showcase to see what Danny has at this weight because we did see Benavidez come back from that long layoff in 2020. I'm sorry, in um in 2021. He moved up in class, in terms of uh, weight class, fought Francisco Torres, who was a bit of a journeyman, and then struggled to a majority draw that you could very much argue Benavidez lost. Yes, he still got that bullet in his leg, unfortunately, from that incident you mentioned, which has compromised his movement. But at his best, Jose Benavidez is a tricky, gutsy, tough welterweight. He may not have won a ton of rounds against Terrence Crawford, but he made that fight difficult until the 12th round when he got stopped. He was, he was sort of in that fight. He's a tough out, Luke. If Danny Garcia's got questions moving up in this weight, this is a guy who could could test some of those questions just the same. But for Garcia, man, it's like he's always responded well to move up in weight. When he, he, he always had trouble making 140, although he was a great champion there. Beat Lucas Matisse in 2013 in a fight. Everyone had him as an underdog. But Luke, when he moved up to welterweight, he carried some power up with him because of the stress it wasn't doing to his body making that. Now he's going to move up to 54, which is going to be interesting. I asked him, you know, if he passes this test, who does he want next? When I interviewed him for Morning Combat, he said, look, historically we go for the best. So to your point, could that mean somebody on a Charlo level? Certainly. I think there's also big potential business, Luke, and him and I talked about that, about maybe a rematch with Keith Thurman at 154, as both have talked about wanting that fight and wanting it at this weight class. And again, we've also seen Danny Garcia push Sean Porter to the limit in his only other uh, loss outside of that Spence fight and the Thurman fight. But Luke, I did talk to Danny Garcia. He just seems happy to be back. And the first thing I asked him was like, where the hell you been, bro? It's been a while since we've seen DSG. Let's go to the videotape. You know, I was just spending time with my family. You know, um, taking advantage of the, the regular things in life. You know, uh, being a family man. You know, traveling, having fun, giving my time, giving myself some time to miss the sport, and that's what I was doing. Because, like I said before, this is all mental. Boxing game is all mental. If you don't feel mentally good, you feel mentally tired, then you're not gonna perform well. So, I just give my time, give myself some time to miss the sport, and mentally recoup, and physically recoup, and 
just feel good again, and that's that's why I'm back. Look, he went on to talk about the the hunger that he kind of lost, right? You know, he was a big game hunter there for a while, fought Thurman, you know, then eventually finds Porter, then Spence on pay-per-view. Would have some in-between tests, but would always kind of look to step back up. But Luke, you know, the, the talk in the second half of his career, as you see him on Instagram with the, you know, spending the money, buying the businesses, he owns that complex with the car repair shop, the barber shop. You see Crazy Angel, his dad and trainer, running around in the expensive pajamas, as I asked him. Some have questioned whether he still has that hunger. I'm not going to play that sound, but he went on to tell me he had to rediscover it. And I think that's key, Luke, in, in long careers, sort of taking that minute to sit out, find that love again. He said it, it took him going to gyms and sparring with the likes of Chris Colbert in Miami, Stephen Fulton Jr. He's close with Boots Ennis in Philadelphia. Kind of seeing those guys in the gym, seeing them in their big fights, rekindling that magic. So I've got you know, good hope that he may be able to still find another strong chapter at this weight class. But I did ask him specifically the third sound we have here on what it will look like style-wise for him at 154 and whether he thinks he can keep that strength and bring it up with him. Let's go to these back-to-back -back clips to close out here. Yes. Definitely. I, I definitely want to use my jab more. You know, I feel like I have a great jab and I, I, I put it away. I don't, so my, you know, I've been working on using my jab Definitely going up in weight, so I want to build more muscle. I want to be physically stronger. I want to be strong and um, just put everything I learned in my career on the table that night. Use all my experience and all my tricks. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm going to be a lot stronger and I'm going to have more stamina. You know, I'm able to work on things. I'm able to run more. I'm able to push myself without feeling like I'm burning myself out. You know, so I'm definitely going to feel good. I feel good already. And um, we're just putting in the work and everything is going good. And we're just getting better and better every day. I thought that was interesting, Luke, those back-to-back -back answers. Because when you look at Danny Garcia as a whole, what has held him back against the very elite? It's always come down to foot speed. I think that's always been his Achilles heel against mm -hmm. the very elite, a Thurman, a Porter, a Spence, is that Danny Garcia needs to set... And be, and be stoic to throw those big shots. You know, that looping left hook that he throws that he sets up with a body shot with the right hand and then comes across. That's a finishing move. You know, look at the Rod Salka highlights. Look at the highlight reel. Look at when he debuted the opening night at the Barclays Center in 2012 in the rematch with Eric Morales. That's a devastating shot. But at his core, Luke, he is a very good boxer, an underrated boxer. When you move up in weight, that speed advantage sometimes can close when you're the smaller guy moving up and it's not an issue. Could you see him being more of a boxer, looking to try to counter with big shots, almost like a later stage Juan Manuel Marquez at this weight class? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, what's funny is I actually think he'll be the more fleet of foot of the two in this case. Yeah. You know, I actually don't think he has to retreat to the problems that plagued him at 147. Not that he's got like a new style or something or whatever, but I think between the two, he'll actually be able to be, at least I'll say this, if not the faster of the feet, the the one that has the behind the jab, if the jab really works in the way that he's talking about, the the guy who can uh, proactively set angles, the guy who can proactively just he can have a little bit more of what he needs combined with the jab to use more movement in a way that is more um, in keeping with his his skills. So the way you point at one forty seven, it kind of held him back a little bit. So. I actually feel like in, if, if if he says what he told you is correct, that the jab is going to be a little bit more of a forward part of his game relative to what it has been, 
behind that jab, using the footwork, setting angles, setting traps, turning his opponent. I actually think that could be a really good way for him to win this contest. Again, it's just against someone like Jermel Charlo, it's like, ugh, that's a, mm, I don't know about that, you know? Well, I, I think his ability to box is going to save him against these elites. He's going to be competitive. He's going to be in there. Can he find that next level gear, something he couldn't find against Spence? And maybe a Luke, when you try to turn it on against somebody like Spence and he's, and he's putting it on you, maybe you get to that decision of, is it worth the risk? But there were elements in that Spence fight where he was competitive, but we... We wanted them to see more. We may not have, we may have to see more at this level against these elites, but I don't think he's going to chase it. I think he's going to be steady with the boxing and look for that opening to land big shots and counters. So here's what's interesting. Should he beat Jose Benavides Jr. on what we've seen of late, who's not a full-fledged junior middleweight? Probably, and I think the betting odds show you that. But look, this is a huge opportunity for Benavides, who... From the shooting, from the long time off after losing the fight against Terrence Crawford in 2018, then switching promoters, being out throughout the pandemic, he kind of has a shot in one night here to put his entire career back on track. I mean, he was the, the promised prospect, to your point earlier, trained by his dad, Jose Sr., whereas David Benavides was... You know, in his teens, he was like a 250-pound heavyweight. He's the guy who's kind of come out of nowhere and made a run in the family. But Jose was once that guy. This is that opportunity against as big of a name as he could get in this situation to try to maybe expose Danny Garcia at this weight class or after this layoff. I'm going to have to see a hungry Benavidez, Luke, but not too hungry because you try to do that against somebody as technical as, as Garcia, he's going to catch you with that counter left hook and it's going to be over. So this is going to be an interesting test at the end of the day. Is it me or has Angel Garcia been like real quiet? Yeah. They don't give him the mic like they used to. Like the glory days of, <laughs> of Angel going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Zab Judah and his father. Like those days are over. A couple times I think Angel went a little too far on the mic, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I think they had to rein him in. But he still takes the pressure off of Danny. They still work great together. Danny's still a star. Let's see, Luke. He gets by this te test, whether it's Thurman. Whether it's the winner of Zoo versus Charlo or whether it's Fundora, that'd be a weird fight, right? Ooh, Danny I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, dude, that's a tough fight either way, actually. That's a fun one. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, this is a triple header, as I mentioned. Can't sleep on Adam Kovnachki, Luke. Tough had those, fight. Had those two losses to Robert Hellenius, who's, by the way, in, rumored to be in talks of potentially getting Deontay Wilder. Making a comeback after a long layoff. Kovnatsky's friends with Ioana Young Jacek, Luke, and I actually saw a video of Kovnatsky coming down to American Top Team, so he's really looking to get in shape. He's a busy, aggressive, active heavyweight, but he doesn't have that fight-changing power. And if you can stand in front of him with a heavy jab and pick him apart, as Hellenius did, you can expose him. This is a big fight. He's going to be taking on Ali Aaron Demazarin, who's actually a minus-165 betting favorite against Kovnatsky. Something to watch there in the co-main. And Luke, that opener... Gary yep. Antoine Russell, the brother of Gary Russell Jr., who beat Victor Postal in a huge step-up fight. Dude, he's taking on Rancis Bartholomew, who's been around a while, who is tricky, that Cuban style. It's going to be a good fight to open things up. Yeah, Russell, uh, Gary Antoine Russell, kind of like, uh, I, I feel like, because here's the thing, you know, Rancis Bartholomew, not, not accused of being the most uh, crowd-pleasing fighter ever. I think that's yes. a fair way to put it. It's fair. Uh, Gary Antoine Russell, I think, showing a little bit of moxie up to this point in his career, kind of putting it on people when he needs to. He's a heavy favorite here as well. Um, I like this fight. By the way, Gary Antoine Russell out of the D.C. area, so you know that's where my heart's going to be. But uh, it's a tough one because Bartholomew can be a little bit tricky. But I, the, the real question for me is, you know, 
I think obviously Russell can win. I would like to see how much he can press Bartholomew. I think that's the one I'm looking for. Also, dude, you know, my Spanish is fucking horrendous. It's not any good. So I, when I went in for the fighter meetings on Zoom, the the main card ones were bleeding into the, the prelim cards where I was set up for. And then, you know, Rancis who had just showed up. His Spanish was indecipherable to me to the point where even the translator didn't know what he was saying. That actually happened on the fighter. He's like, I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Like, I, it, it, it's, it's, he is speaking uh, Dude, difficult Spanish. Rancis, I, I've been a huge Bartholomew guy. I don't know. I fall in love with the Cuban boxers, Luke. He never quite lived up to it. He's had those somewhat disappointing performances, but he's been... You know, he's shown those elite flashes of skill. And, you know, this is a fight where he is a heavy favorite against a guy who's coming on, but he's going to have to show that crafty veteran side. When you make Bartholomew fight you, Luke, I do feel like he's a better fighter. He's more dangerous. But the way that Gary Antoine Russell walked down Postal and put the action on him, which led to that stoppage, he looks to be good. I know that the, the, the Russell family lost their father, patriarch and trainer, but, you know, he's got his brother Gary, Gary Russell Jr. as his lead trainer in the corner. So we'll see what happens. Saturday night, that's a 9 p.m. Eastern triple header start on Showtime. Don't forget Luke Thomas in those prelims, 7 p.m. Eastern. Raul Marquez, Boots Ennis, should be a good time had by all. Luke, we close the show every Friday with a segment in which the fans can put us on trial. Morningcombat at gmail.com <laughs> is the email address. Reach out to Mikey Morms. Tell him what we did wrong, but you better bring receipts. You better be able to back it up. It's called Dead Wrong. Dead wrong. All right, I took an absolute ass whooping last weekend. I'm expecting to take another one. That's usually what happens on these. But maybe, yeah. maybe it'll be a little more evenly distributed this time. We'll see. Well, Kevin's coming after you, Luke. Hi, MK Donks. Like any frequent listener, I enjoy Luke's catchphrases like upper bound limits and let he who is without sin cast the first stone <laughs> or even one would be foolish to count out X fighter. Yeah. However, one phrase he's been using is unfortunately dead wrong. At the two okay. hour and one minute mark of Wednesday's show, while stalling for the Tom Aspinall interview that would eventually never happen. This was last week. <laughs> Luke says, Cinderella's going to turn back into a pumpkin here pretty soon. Oh, yes. yes this is dead course. wrong because in yeah. the story, it's not it's Cinderella, but her carriage who turns into a pumpkin. And to the BBC, I just want to say, I hope you try stand-up comedy and get a tight 10. I've watched all your shows, dude. I couldn't stop laughing. Your mannerisms are everything. Well, Luke, this is an uphill battle, by the way. So one, do you you're mean? dead wrong. You'll take the L. We'll move yeah, on from that. I would have said the same thing. I would have made that same analogy. But Luke, you know that while you believe my comedy stylings are vastly overrated and not anywhere close to the irrational confidence that I have in delivering it. It's not quite it, true. It's not quite true. I think you would say that if there is any comedic genius in here, I'm a counterpuncher. I'm, I give you that, that, that witty yes. reference back at you or that counter question. I'm not a prepare the material carry out the material type of guy. So this is a little bit like asking Tyron Woodley to go from the octagon to boxing Jake Paul here, Luke. Will I get knocked the fuck out or not? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, you're going to get knocked the fuck out because my understanding is everybody bombs. But here's the thing. It's not that I don't think you're very funny. I think you're very funny. I just feel like you think 90% of your jokes are funny, and I don't. I think it's closer to 20 to 30%. But that 20 to 30% oh, is gold. Well, hold on. But, that, but that's the whole point, right? You gotta you gotta weed out the bad stuff, take the good stuff, and it's not a tight ten, bro. You ain't doing ten fucking. Oh, minutes. I'm doing it's a tight ten. I mean, you think I'm gonna have like three minutes and have to crowd work for seven, Luke? No chance. <laughs> no, but you gotta take that. I'll be generous, thirty, maybe even forty percent. Tighten that up and use all of that shit together for a tight five. That's what you want. What's the most amount of minutes of those ten that I should work on vasectomy humor in your eyes? Ooh, 
Um, your vasectomy humor is pretty good, actually. Solid, <laughs> a full solid two minutes. I think. Okay, I'll work in two for that. Let's see what happens here, Luke. All right. Uh, Luke, this is from Nima. Hello, MK team. I know you're doing a great job. I know you've got mail every Wait, week. Showtime's Nima? No, but shout out okay. to... to uh, to uh, uh, the Wizard of Gaz himself, Nima Ghazi, one of the, one of the best people on this planet, Nima, yeah, if you're great. watching, okay? Hello, he's MK. Great. I know you're doing a great job. I know you've got mail every week. I know you scour the globe to find the best feces that are of liking of BC, but how can you do a pre-fight breakdown of Aspinall versus Blades and say Aspinall's only submission win was against Arlovsky when Aspinall's very last fight against Volkov, Volkov. was won via submission? Thanks for taking the L. Luke, this is aimed at me. Technically, uh. yes, I said that wrong. I was subconsciously saying essentially before, before the most recent fight, his only submission had been, uh, you're right, I'm wrong, but you get where I was sort of looking at it. Yes, I'll take the L, Listen, I was dead wrong. On this show, we take away people's wins, we change them, we just invent yes. fights they don't even fucking have. So, you know, yeah. take We invent our own chances of DM sliding to 115 pound yes. contenders. We do weird things <laughs> on this show. Give right? us awards, please. Uh, here's from John on episode 327 at 108.39 BC said that Musayev was the last person to beat Patricky Pitbull this is dead wrong it is, I'll take the L here Peter Queeley is the last person to beat him coming via doctor stoppage due to a cut after round 2 it was and Musayev's last fight before Bellator true I had said that right. but but technically Peter Queeley did beat him and then they had the rematch for the interim title right and then Patricky won the championship so there you go. I was dead wrong. Correct. Uh, this is the cheese man coming in. My favorite MMA podcast personalities. While I love both of you, I need to set my crosshairs on BC this week. Oh, boy. Uh -oh. BC's criticism of Molly McCann's win and celebration was totally out of line. Quite frankly, Ooh, it was dead wrong. I, I see. I knew you were going to. While piss her last them two off. wins were it. not against ranked opponents, they are not cans. With lack of fans for so long, with England being such a hot market right now, and with two spinning elbow victories in a division that doesn't feature a lot of finishes, these are exceptional results and deserve to be celebrated. You washed factory town dub tea, dirty old hillbilly. With love, the cheese man. Luke, I did take I did take a lot of criticism for this. Is it is it possible for me to look at the Molly situation and just say it was too much? Without necessarily meaning I hate her or I'm going too far. It did seem like you wanted to rain on her parade. Now, I would not call, I mean, the, the method of victories are exceptional. The quality of opponents are, I mean, they're fine. They're not, the quality of opponents were not exceptional. I mean, GSP beating BJ Penn in the rematch, that was exceptional, right? That, that, at that moment in time, certainly anyway. So, no, we're not going to put it on that level. But they were good. They were, the, the method of victory was phenomenal. The opponents were credentialed and fine. Um, but you definitely, I'm telling you, you guys don't know BC. If BC can set the tone and the party <laughs> revolves around BC, dude, he's all in. He's the life of the party. He'll be your fucking best friend on earth. But if somehow the party doesn't focus on him, my man is Lithuanian exiting at the first fucking crack of dawn. He is gone. Wow. I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look at the man in the mirror after this one, Luke, and maybe ask him to change his ways. I I, I think you've struck a nerve inside of me. But um, I apologize. I, I know you, bitch. I know you. I know you so well. You know me too. Like fair enough. Like you can dress me down as well. But I know your tendencies. Uh, I I do apologize for any Molly fans or Molly herself if I came off too harsh in my attempt to frame the entertainment she provided. But 
Can we reserve jumping over the fence for everyone for like a major breakthrough moment, please? Can there be like... Agreed. Agreed. All right. Finally, Luke, this is from a P1 from Finland. His name is Lassie, Lassie, L-A-S-S-I. How would you pronounce it? Fuck if I know. Okay. Uh, Dear Donk Masters, at 138 of episode 327, during BC's highlight reel of elder abuse and CTE, (laughs) he referred to Jack Hermanson as the Nordic Nightmare. Although Mr. Hermanson possesses hellish ground and pound skills, calling such a name or calling such a nice guy a nightmare is not only unfitting but also dead wrong. His nickname is, of course, the Joker, which is much more fitting to his personality. Nordic Nightmare refers to another fighter from the Nordics, heavyweight boxer and my countryman, Robert Hellenius from Finland, who is rumored to be Deontay Wilder's next opponent. I just mentioned him earlier. Seriously, a P1 from Finland. So what am I dead wrong? That I took Hellenius' nickname and casually applied it to Hermanson, who now lives in the Nordic uh, territories, right? Uh, I mean, there are, there's, it's always kind of complicated about like his, his yes, the, the, that's correct. That's what you did wrong. Okay. But there's always like this weird thing about like, well, is he, you know, he's Norwegian, but he's really, he trains in Sweden. So what, what, and he flies both flags and, you know, where does the, uh, where does his uh, territorial allegiance really go to? And so it kind of gets confused, but. All right. I mean, I, I'll take the L, but I wasn't necessarily saying that's his nickname. I was. All right, whatever. We pedantic pieces of shit. You get your time every Friday to call us out. It's mortingcombat at Gmail. Again, the email address for this segment. Hey, I've got one for you. I've got one for you. For Wednesday. So I was talking to my I was talking to my wife about your nickname for Brandon Moreno. Boy, she did not love it. She did not love it. Why, dude? It means it means big balls. And it does direct though. So I talked to her about it. First of all, you called him El El uh, El um, El Huevos Grande. For to be correct, it would have to be. Well, it's weird, right? So it'd have to be. So this is what this is. Okay, my Spanish is fucking terrible. So I was asking her, like, okay, how would you call someone Mister Big Balls? And she was like, well, first of all, it'd be Senor. It'd be Senor, number one. Not not like L. That would be the. And then the other part is like, if you were doing the the part, it's weird because even though it's huevos, it would be las. And she also says you wouldn't say grande second. You would actually say it first. But even then, she goes, that would be like a literal translation. It would actually be. Huevon, but Huevon is also dude, which can change depending on like, you know, uh, all different, like Mexico would have a different word for it and in Colombia and Bolivia, all that shit. So she was basically saying like the version that you pitched to Brandon Moreno was quite possibly the most confused version imaginable. <laughs> so what did it sound like in translation to him? What did it, what did I say? I said the Egg. You said the egg big. Big. The egg big. The egg big. All right. The egg, the egg big. And Who he must have been more? like, he must have been like. So know. that's more of the Nunes Pena. Did you see Juliana say whoever has the bigger ovaries is going to win this fight? Yeah. That's, can we not? Can we not do that? That's the thing we cannot do. Whoever has um, the tighter tubes wins the fight. I don't. I don't. I don't know much about that area there, Luke. I, you know, I mean, I've been there a few times, but I don't. I don't. You know, I don't linger there. Whoever you know? got three needles with not enough anesthesia really can yeah, tell, you know yeah. dictate this. Uh, did you see Mikey, our producer, just trying to talk shit and dead wrong us? Did you see that in the chat, Luke? Uh, I was going to do dead wrong, you guys, uh, for saying you didn't want to do storylines Wednesday, then did an entire hour straight of storylines. Yeah, because we just didn't want to do it in the regular way, D-Bag. We wanted to fucking, you know, put some creativity and lighten it up with five burning questions, motherfucker. How hard is that to understand? See, here we go, Mikey, coming for the king. You best not miss. 
We didn't want to do it in a plain way. Here's, here's Mikey the chef. Here's a piece of bread. Eat that shit. We're like, could we dress it up? Maybe put some peanut butter and jelly on it? No, bread. Fucking eat that white bread shit. Can we get like wheat bread? No. Motherfucker, are we trying to dress it up? You know what I'm saying? Like you can have yeah. salad on one side and the, the, the leaves and then the dressing. Put it together. Make yeah, a salad. I mean, Mix it that shit. Maybe if the pregame preview went out on Sunday like it was pre-approved to, we wouldn't have had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry Y'all for the inside roast baseball. Pow, 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 pow. <laughs> Got him. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, here are our social channels that you can follow us at right there. Uh, you can buy our merch, morningcombat.store. I'm telling you, it looks good on you. It really does. It looks good on me. Well, maybe I'm not the best example, but um, shout out again to Chuck Mindenhall, themyth.com, M-I-T-H. You can buy his merch. You can buy this Boston Scally cap with his own logo. Look, he's got his own damn logo on this. Do you see this bullshit? I know. I got to get one. I actually like those kinds of hats. And I also, you know, like you, I look like a complete douchebag wearing it, but I don't oh, mind yeah. anymore. Dude, I, I, I don't want to look like Rogan, but I do have a little Randy Cooter vibe in this hat, right? You know, I don't know if cooter that's, is a word that we should be saying. <laughs> that's my it's, captain. It's, that's it's, my captain of my country. I've, we've, I've gotten, of all the things we've said on this show, there's only one time I got a phone call from, like, upper showtime <laughs> management. I can't even repeat what the word is. Cooter is not the word. But Did it, it begin with starts, a Q? Did it, it begin does. with a Q, Luke? <laughs> it might involve a cooter. Now yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe you were told you can say a lot of things that we'll overlook, but do not say that <laughs> yeah, ever again. Like, Please don't fucking say that again. I was like, yeah, okay, that seems fine. All right, shout out to uh, Mikey Morms, Long Island Luke, and Gaff Pierre on the ones and twos. Gaff, straight back from that vacation in Jamaica, Luke. Picture's looking good, okay? Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, my man's out there having the time of his life. God bless him. Climbing trees, living life with his lady. What Gaff's an American hero. I love that guy. All right, um... For our great teams, our staff, Luke, do you, uh, again, do you want to address next week when I won't be here? No, you don't care? You don't uh, care. Yes, we, we, we will have, we will have plenty of, oh, so here's the thing. Um, we are, let me think this through. We're going to have some post UFC 277 coverage. There may not be a live show on Saturday, but there'll be a video up on Sunday one way or the other. So we are going to get that out. So don't worry about that. So that'll be in play. And then the next week, we are going to have just a series of rotating guests to come and join me. Some of them might be nominated for, in fact, MMA awards. You never oh, know. Wow. But uh, yeah, so we'll have plenty of that. And then we're going to lean into Jake Paul Fight Week a little bit. Obviously, this is a Showtime property. You and I are going to be there uh, at least on um, fight day together for that. So yeah, don't worry. Plenty, MK will roll on. It's never the same when BC's not there. I can admit that. I think everyone understands that, but it will be good. And uh, we'll get you guys ready for all the fights as we go. I'll be do. back for that Saturday night, August 6th. You and I are maybe going to be calling some prelims, maybe doing a post-show. Yes. Look, there'll be some fun that's going on. So we'll see what happens there. Reminder quickly, last chance for you to advance us to the next round for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Hit this QR code right here or go to Podcast Awards. What is it? I don't know. It's something. There's a website that's involved. Why and also MMA Awards, too. And also... The World MMA Awards brought to you by Fighters Only Magazine. We won Best MMA Programming last year. By the way, the first time a non-UFC produced TV show won Best MMA Programming. We are the pioneers of podcasting. Maybe not, but you get what I'm saying there. We're up against Ariel, Rogan, and many UFC vehicles. Vote for us. And and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll reward you in some way. I mean, the show's free at the end of the day, right? Free and lengthy. 
I mean, eventually, speaking of, well, maybe not lengthy, but we will get our OnlyPipes account going. <laughs> Probably won't be that lengthy, Luke. Well, you know, maybe girthy. We'll see what we'll see what we produce there. But uh, for the great Luke Thomas, uh, I am your co-host reminding you, uh, take a step back this weekend. Take care of the brain, okay? Okay, we love you. You're going to get through this. If you need us to be by your side, then just keep replaying this show over and over again. We love you. Thank you. Enjoy the fights this weekend. I'll be on a cruise ship. I'm going to come back healthy, happy, and ready to bang, okay? That's all you can ask of me, right? Can we end it? Okay. <laughs> we out.